All right, everyone, welcome to a little bit different take of uh, Movie Change Up, where instead of fighting and debating movies to see who comes up with better pitches, we're actually going to have a little bit of a discussion here. Uh, during the last few weeks, we've come together, well, we've gone our separate ways and comprised our own top 20 movies of the 2010s. This started because Johnny on his own wanted to do a top 100 movies of the 2010s, and we all decided to get, get on board because we're all super unoriginal. And so, <laughs> and about a year all, late. Yeah, we're going to all get together and talk about each of our own top 20 lists. Uh, but before we start, I want to have a little mini discussion of who we think our list is most similar to and dissimilar to. And I think, honestly, my list is probably going to be the most similar to Bobby's. I feel like we have similar tastes, and I feel like my list is going to be the most uh, dissimilar to uh, Tristan's because I feel like we have very, very, very different tastes in movies. So that's me. Uh, Johnny, how do you feel? It's funny, you know, I started doing this list after quarantine in, in January, middle of quarantine. I was like, you know what, I'll do my list because everyone was putting them out. And you know what, I, I it was a lot more work than I anticipated, so I wanted to wait a while. And I finally think now was a good time to do it because all of the 2019 movies that I'd only probably seen once what in Jan like in January when I wanted to do it, now I've kind of given myself time to digest them, rewatch them, a little higher, a little lower on them, um, on some of them. Um, than I would have been, you know, at the time of the list. But that being said, I think my list, it, funny enough, will probably be most similarities to Bobby as well, um, just because, like Joe said, Bobby and I have very similar tastes for at least a lot of the movies I know are in my top 20s, probably made Bobby's, at least a handful of them. I'm not sure what made Tristan's list, so it wouldn't surprise me if we had uh, commonalities and... I don't know, Joe. Joe and I are high and low on a lot of movies, so I, I think Joe might be my least uh, similarities as far as my movies go. But you know, anything anything could happen. It really, I'm interested to see everyone's list. I published, I published mine. You guys obviously published. Sorry, I couldn't get that <laughs> word through. I published mine. I tweeted it out. Um, I'll I'll remind that after the episode too. But you know, so they've seen some of mine. I have no idea what's going to be on anyone's list other than maybe a couple we've, you know, discussed before. All right. Uh, Tristan, uh, who do you feel is you're similar to? Who's you least similar to? It's very interesting. I feel like Bobby presents himself as like a blank slate because I was also I like, maybe I'm similar <laughs> to Bobby too. <laughs> but I do want to, I probably do have some good similarities to Johnny. I don't think overall we're going to be similar, but I think we'll definitely have some similar uh cuts on our list or and i know probably some top movies towards the top will be similar there's a couple movies that i'll be surprised if they aren't on anyone like all of our lists you know there's one or two that i would imagine we all agree on but i think we're all gonna have very vastly different lists this time I'm, if i had to guess i'm gonna say most similar to bobby's most difference from joe we're all, we're all going to be like Bobby. One of us will be right, probably. Yeah. Everyone will be like Bobby. It'll be like Bobby's top one is not like any of them. Yeah, no, I, it, it'll be surprising when they're all uh, musicals and rom-coms. We'll have one or two. <laughs> yeah, well, then you'll, yours will be Yeah, I'll have a couple most, most similar to Tristan. But, um, yeah. yeah, same question to me. Um, I mean, apparently you all think you're going to be similar to me, but uh, I think uh, Johnny and I, are, I know, because I, I intentionally did not go back and read Johnny's list, but just from talking, um, I know some of his and that they'll match. So I think we'll have a good amount of them. Uh, but I know that you are more into some of the foreign films than me, so those won't be on there. So overall, it might be more similar to Joe, 
Um, and then I think I might be most dissimilar to Tristan, but again, I think there's going to be a good amount of crossover on all these lists. Yeah. I'm interested to see how many movies, if any, I think there will at least be, you know, two or three would be my guess of how many movies actually made all four lists. Um, but you know, you never know. There could be not a single one that made, made everybody's top 20, but I think a couple of them are pretty safe bets. I'd be surprised if they're not in everyone's top 20. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and if you're watching along and you have a movie that you're like, hey, I haven't heard you guys talk about this, maybe it'll be higher on our list, or maybe there's, you know, a movie that we're talking about that you're like, that movie sucks, feel free to comment live, we'll put the comment on the screen and talk about it, and without further ado, I guess we'll just get started, and I'll go first, and my at number 20 is a movie from last year, 2019, The Peanut Butter Falcon, which currently is streaming uh, on Prime and on Hulu. Uh, Johnny, is that on your list? Or? That is not on my list. Tristan? Not on my list. Bobby, not, I assume not on your not, list. Not on my list, but a very good movie. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just snuck in for me in that number 20 spot. It's like a good modern-day Mark Twain story. Star Shia LaBeouf, who's, you know, going through some problems right now. He's maybe not the best human being on the planet, but especially when you hear the story of how that movie got made with... Uh, the writers and directors had a friend who had Down syndrome who wanted to be an actor, and that was his dream to be an actor, but no one was writing roles for people with Down syndrome. And so they wrote this movie for him to be one of the main leads, but no one, no one in Hollywood wanted to make the movie. And they saw Josh Brolin tweet out, like, hey, I want to help more people this year. And so they tweeted at him, and they're basically like, hey, can you help us make this movie? He's like, not exactly what I meant, but I'll see what I can do. And he got him in yeah. touch with a producer and helped them get the movie made. So it's just nice. a good movie with a good story and just about these two people on the run in you know the southeastern United States. Yeah, it's one that I've heard a lot about. I've watched the trailer for. I was debating one day on watching that or Honey Boy, but I think at the time, Peanut Butter Falcon was only rent. The Honey Boy was available on Amazon Prime. Um and I was just kind of not really interested in Honey Boy. I thought it was fine. And then I just never got back to watching Peanut Butter Falcon. But I, since it's available on streaming for free now, I think I'll, I'll probably check it out pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's on Prime and Hulu. It's, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, too, it's a good yeah. one to check out. It's, yeah. You know, it's about, a, you know, Zach, the guy with Down syndrome, is trying to go to a wrestling school is kind of his journey yeah. through the movie. Tristan, have you seen that one? Uh, yes, I had, I'm not a wrestling fan, but I have seen Peanut Butter Falcon, <laughs> so maybe there's some crossover there. Uh, my aunt is developmentally disabled, and my mom has also worked in a lot of developmentally disabled uh, positions at, at hospitals and things like that. So I've been around people who have similar disabilities, and it's very interesting to see them beyond what they're portrayed as in, in TV and, and movies, where we see them a lot as being very like non-functional and needing assistance a lot and not very like emotionally complex in a lot of movies. And this is one of the first movies I've ever seen to show someone with Down syndrome specifically being like a complex character with a lot of emotional uh, complexity. And that's very important, I think, to be progressive and inclusive like that for accessibility in film. So I definitely endorse this as a fun movie for families and friends to watch together. You know, it's not anything violent so it's a good family movie i think so i definitely recommend people checking that out nice all right um so i guess that brings me next my my number 20 
um, would be a movie we've discussed on the podcast a, a lot because we love the director, Gareth Evans. Um, that is the Raid Redemption, the first Raid movie. Is that uh, Tristan, is that on your list at all? No, it's not on my list. No, Bobby? Nope. And no. Joe? No, not on my list. So I didn't expect uh, this one to maybe be in this one, kind of barely made the cut for my top 20, but I was blown away when I first watched the uh, the Raid movie. Um, you know, the first one, because I love the action in it. I love hand-to-hand combat in, in movies and just unique fighting. I'm really disinterested in most action movies that come out in the States because it involves a lot of big CGI moments and action scenes. And I like the raid because it doesn't have any of those big set pieces. It's just like sets up for a bunch of really good fights. And the other thing I like about it is a lot of movies that feel like they don't have plot need to add all this super complicated nonsense to it. The raid has just enough plot to set up the story it's telling. And that's really all that it needs. And it's just kind of a a set piece for the action. So, you know, it has the, it's basically a corrupt, um, basically what would be like the FBI in Indonesia. Um, They raid this drug dealer's apartments. And there's a couple little twists and turns. You don't really know, why it's going on and it has some good little reveals and it adds a little personal um, flavor into it. And you're like, wow, these guys are just basically brought in here to, you know, be lambs to the slaughter and, uh, you know, eco U.S. is awesome in it. So that's why I really like it. I think it has, you know, just enough, just enough plot in all the action that you could ever want for an action movie. So it made my top 20. Yeah. I mean, it's, the, both Raid movies, but specifically Raid 2, like, is really good. It's just like a lot of action set pieces, like you said, with just enough plot in between to you know, structure the fights, but it's the best fight scenes that you've ever seen in any movie. And it's like, yeah. if you were to rank the best fight scenes in any movie, like top 20, like over half of them would come from the Raid 2. Absolutely. The Raid and the Raid 2. I think because the Raid 2, which is one we'll get to later on the list, whether you guys have it or not, um, has a lot of big fights, but I think some of the ones that are forgotten in the first one are, you know, the fight in the kitchen and, and even just like the subtle scenes that are just like tension filled, like the machete through the wall scene, I think is an awesome set piece. That's not just hand to hand combat. So I like everything that the movie kind of has to throw at you. So from start to finish, it's just a thrill ride. And I've watched it like probably 10 times. Like I, I'm a huge fan of that, uh, whole series i can't wait for the the next one which they've been saying they're going to do for a while so i think that's really all we got to say on that one tristan uh what is your number 20 uh my number 20 is spike jones is her from 2013 good movie okay what do you got to say about it uh i think it portrays ai and futurism very interesting Uh, i think we see a lot of movies that are set in the future that are very like bombastic and very something stuff that's like you know jupiter ascending where it's like oh they're in spaceships and everything doesn't look very real and i think this is this portrays a future that i think is kind of grounded and realistic and i think that reflects in the characters really well too i think walking phoenix gives a very grounded performance here he seems to, a lot of times he gets very loud like like the joker you know he's very like almost deranged and this this was a very quiet performance for walking phoenix that i think is unique for him and I also think it portrays AI in a believable way. And I think especially I rewatched it. This is one that was right on the edge for me, you know, so I rewatched it recently. 
And I think it hits in 2020 really interesting because we are very isolated right now. And I think this portrays someone who's isolated and he turns to like technology to be his, his friend. And I think a lot of people in like isolation of 2020 have turned to like movies and TV and video games. And this is kind of an interesting way to portray how that can be positive, but it can also be harmful. And I think it also has a really strong running theme of just the importance of human connection. So that's why I went for it on my 20. Uh, yeah. So was that on anyone's list? Um, it wasn't on no, mine, but it no, was not, it was an honorable mention, though. No, it was. It was. It didn't make my. Um, that was one I was really debating for my top 100. But honestly, I just haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. I haven't revisited it. I remember really enjoying it at the time, but I wasn't blown away. That it came out in a pretty strong year for movies. So I remember when it was like Best Picture time. I thought her was maybe like the third or fourth best option that year. Um, but I also enjoyed it you know it was a little awkward seeing with my parents that was probably a down downside of it <laughs> yeah. was it has the like what felt like two hours in the theater of just a black screen with the uh like dirty talking of uh Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson that was very awkward for my brother and I uh Michael and I sitting next to my parents in a theater so I remember we came out of the theater and we loved it my parents are just like we don't know what that was <laughs> so yeah yeah, I, I actually recently watched that uh, this, like during quarantine for the first time, and I, I really good movie. I, re, I really liked it, but yeah, it would be really awkward to see with our parents for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I haven't seen it since. I, I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it the year it came out, and I, haven't, I don't think I've seen it since. I remember really liking it, and I thought like that's one of the reasons like when people talk about like expanding the Oscars to like voiceover, like or not voiceover, but for voice acting well yeah but that too and but i feel like that yeah motion capture voiceover all that if they expanded that into like its own acting category like that's something that scarlett johansson definitely like should be nominated for but nothing that in like current present time like she's never going to be nominated for like best supporting actress for that role but it's something that almost like should be recognized by the academy yeah. Oh, and I and I forgot to mention, and I don't know if Justin has his written down, but um, the raid is not available for any streaming. Like that's free, I don't believe. Um, but it is like two bucks to rent or two ninety nine to rent on Amazon. It's also on YouTube as well. I just, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, pretty much all movies right now, like any movie that came out in the last ten years, is going to be available to rent for like three bucks. Not I don't for sure that. Films. Yeah, I know good. for I sure that her is, on, uh, her is on Netflix. I watched it on there, so you can find her on yeah. Netflix. Yep. All right. Bobby. All right, so my number 20 is a uh, actor-turned-director's um, debut, um, and it's a really good thriller uh, with a really good kind of ambiguous kind of twist-type ending, and that is The Gift from 2015, um, directed by and starring Joel Edgerton and Jason Bateman, who's really good in it, as well as Rebecca Hall. Um and I, I just think that's a really good thriller that's entertaining throughout. You have a couple, um, Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall, who um, kind of are living just kind of a happy life. And then a a friend or a, well, a colleague, um, well, someone that went to high school with Jason Bateman's character, Gordo, played by Joel Edgerton, shows up. And then a lot of kind of craziness happens. They keep getting these gifts with, um, you know, the ambiguous kind of things on it. Um, and I don't really want to give too much away because I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie. Uh, Johnny and I, I know saw this in theaters and a friend pulled a prank on us when we got home, which is one of the best things that's happened 
um, leaving a gift from the movie in our driveway. Um, but I think it's really good acting. I think Jason Bateman plays a really good dick um, in it, and he's a good one of his better dramatic performances at the time. And then since he's done more, um, especially on, TV, on Netflix at least now. Um, and I think it was a great directorial debut by Joel Edgerton and a lot of tension. Uh, Rebecca Hall's fantastic. And again, one of the best endings I've seen in a movie uh, in a while. I've never seen it, so it definitely didn't make my list. So I, I really, really enjoy that movie. Like Bobby said, we saw it together. Um, I have that at 58 in my top 100, so it made that list, which seems low until you actually make a top 100 and you're just like, holy crap, how is a movie I love? so low like i have it rated like probably like over four stars out of five and yet it's um only in you know it barely made the top 60. i have it a spot below the drop which i don't know if that made anyone's list but i felt like those two movies were pretty similar but i was more captivated by the central performance by tom hardy in the drop than uh i was by anyone even though joe edgerton is really good and jason bateman is is you know good in it i was i'm not really like enthralled by one character throughout like uh even like a film like you know joker or something like where i'm just like this performance is the reason that i'm staying through it and i i tend to prefer movies with like a really good central performance when they're like a slower thriller yeah and i, and I like yeah, this so. as, a, as a thriller i found yeah. it with a better plot than the drop and a yeah. little bit more entertaining throughout i really like the drop it's it's slower um and i yeah. think rebecca hall rivals tom hardy for the for the gift. I think she's fantastic. She's really good in it, yeah. But yeah, that's my 20. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Nice. Tristan, any thoughts on on uh, The Gift? Yeah, The Gift is a great one. I went in with no expectations, really. I just seen like the first teaser or something, and I was living out in the farmland going into college with nothing to do except for one AMC theater there. So me and my friend went and saw it like on a whim like Sunday at 9 a.m. or something like that. <laughs> and I had a really good time. I was blown away by it. I think it would have stood out more if Jason Bateman had continued down like his directorial path a little bit more. But he did The Outsider yeah. on HBO. That wasn't all that good. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does next. But I hope it's more in line with this. This was a really, really exciting thriller. And I'm glad you have it on the list. I forgot about it. I might have been in the conversation for me if I remembered. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. It's funny for me because that one, I thought that was going to be the big coming out party, like Ben Affleck with Gone Baby Gone. Of, mm -hmm. Oh, Joel, you know, Joel Edgerton is now like the big director and actor. He's going to make all these movies and he never matched that again. And, you know, he hasn't like only been trying that, but I thought that was going to be his first of many to come. And it was just his like kind of at the moment kind of one hit wonder as a director. So I'm waiting for him to you know, do another thriller, yeah. step back into that, that realm. He's only done one other, one other movie and it was Boy Erased. Yeah. Um, which was a solid, like good drama, but it wasn't anything like The Gift. Yeah. yeah. All right, Joe, your number 19. My number 19 is a director who's kind of fizzled out recently. Uh, David Ayer's Fury from 2014. A good, right. small, solid World War II tank movie. Anyone else with? Um, it did not make my top 20. It is in my top 100. I was looking for where I have it, but I don't see it. I have it at number 93. That's another one. It's like that seems so low, but again, that's it's a great movie. It's just, yeah, it's not near my, my top 20. Tristan? Yeah, it's, 
Oh yeah, I haven't seen it, so it's not in my top twenty. It's on the list to watch eventually, but not yeah. not typically my thing. So hopefully you can give it to me. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that movie. It's not in my top twenty, but it like if I made my top one hundred, it would be in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, really good performances, especially Shia LaBeouf is really good in that. Yeah. Um, an interesting way to show the tank battles with almost fireworks kind of yeah. coming out of there to show it. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's basically four actors I love just stuck in a tank together with, you know, Brad Pitt, Michael Pena, Shia LaBeouf, and uh, John Bernthal. You know, and they're all like these interesting characters. You Brad Pitt leading them through battle just kind of you can see he's kind of battle-hardened and kind of lost his humanity a little bit of just teaching uh, the new guy, Logan Lerman's character, you know, that he has to kill people and he's not going to make it through the war without killing people. And uh, I, think, I think it's just a good, like, character piece almost about these four guys. You know, there's not a whole lot of plot until the end of the movie. But I think if you like World War II movies, if you like Brad Pitt, it's definitely worth checking out my question is how much action is there like is it like a big like saving private ryan style action movie or is it, was I mean, it not, not really it's no. more of like a dramatic it's story. definitely what i like so much about it compared to a lot of war movies because like yeah the first like the opening scene of saving private ryan is amazing then i really don't care that much about any of the yeah. characters when that movie goes forward fury is the opposite fury is it establishes the characters you really, really like them. You like the team that they have. And then when there is an action scene, it just feels like there are more stakes. Yeah. Um, I, I think Fury did a really good job with that. That's another one I, I thought, oh, David Ayer, after End of Watch and that, is like the next great director of the of right now. And then he made such crappy movies since then it, with Bright and Suicide Squad that I feel like I've revisited movies more when the director gets on a hot streak and I'm more interested in their work, that makes me rewatch the, you know, even the movies that I like more fury. I kind of just fell off because David air fell off and I haven't watched it in years now. Whereas like when that first came out, I probably saw it three times within like the first six months I saw that movie and I probably haven't watched it since. So that's kind of why it's lower on mine. Um, but that's one I, I would like to uh, revisit for sure, because I remember loving it when I walked out of the theater for sure. Yeah, it was definitely my one of my all-time favorite theater experiences because, like, I didn't purposefully see it on Veterans Day, but that's just whatever reason. That's the time I had. That's when I had mm -hmm. time to go watch it, and I went and watched it. And basically, the entire theater was all veterans. It was maybe like half full in my small college town of all veterans. And the trailer playing before it was the interview, the movie with like Seth Rogen and James Franco, where they go oh, yeah. and they have to kill uh, the leader of North Korea. And like the first half of that trailer, no one's laughing at all until it's revealed that the plot of the movie is they have to go kill the leader of North Korea. Then after that moment, every you would think every single joke in that trailer was the funniest thing that I've ever had. And the tone in that theater completely changed as soon as they all realized what the plot of that movie was. <laughs> but yeah, so that's my number 19, uh, Johnny. All right, my, my number 19, I think, is the best movie. It's not touted as such, but I think it's the best movie by one of today's uh, best working directors, and that is uh, Prisoners by Denny Villeneuve. I, I think Prisoners is fantastic. It's, it's a really, really amazing thriller. I really, it's very dark. I like dark movies, and um, anytime there's, like, a child getting kidnapped or something in a movie, if it's directed really well, it just feel, you're just... 
there's so much tension throughout that you understand the desperation of the characters. And this is about, it doesn't tell you, you know, these people are right for doing it, but it's these parents are desperate to get their kids back. So they're going to do anything they need to do. Hugh Jackman gives the performance of his career. He's never been as good as he is in Prisoners. Jake Gyllenhaal, I think this is his second best performance besides Nightcrawler, which may or may not be on on people's lists um, as well. But he's awesome in it. Like the entire cast, like that movie, if nothing else, like the Oscars should have a best casting, um, you know, uh, Oscar, because that movie is cast so perfectly. Like even the smaller characters like Viola Davis is Terrence Howard's wife in it. And you're just like, you watch it back and you're like, she is amazing in the small amount of screen time that you get from her. So I think everyone is so perfectly cast in that movie. Um, It just sucks you in. And it's one, even though it's a darker film, that doesn't really, you know, stress me out from watching it over and over again. I can rewatch a movie if it's good, no matter what the source material is. So I've seen that movie probably, you know, 10 times. And I, I think it's, I think it's a very enjoyable thriller that takes you on some good twists and turns. And like Bobby said, with the gift has kind of an ambiguous, um, dark kind of twisted ending. So I'm, I'm a sucker for that as well. And it's streaming on Hulu before I forget to say that when we go around. So if you have Hulu, it's free. Tristan, have you, uh, we, did we go around and see if it's on anyone else's list? No, no. Yeah. We got to remember to do that. We got to remember the order. Let's say the movie, do the order and then talk about the movie. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes more sense. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it is on my list, so it's on 15 on my list. Okay. Right. Yeah, so so what we should do, Joe and I were talking beforehand, we can, if it's if it's in the bottom 10. Yeah, that's we'll what we're saying. It, yeah, then we'll talk about it. But yeah, we got to go through first, because I forgot about right. that. But yeah, it's, it's not on mine, but um, yeah. I do have a Denis Villeneuve yeah. movie somewhere on my list. I can say that. Okay. Joe? Yeah, it's not on my list either. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think that's widely... Like a, a you know a widely popular opinion that that's Denny Villeneuve's best movie, but I think I think it's a very good movie no matter what, and I think it for me personally because it's more of a movie up my alley. I think it's the best film that he's he's done. Um, I don't think it's like far and away by a mile. I have probably three other Denny Villeneuve movies in my top one hundred of the decade, but this one was by far the highest. Yeah, so not a rival. Um, Tristan, it's on. It's your. It's yeah. No, fuck that movie. Um, Tristan, it's your, um, 15. So, uh, tell it me is about my 15. Uh, we, we've echoed the praise of Denny Villeneuve oh, a little bit already. And I want to just repeat that. I mean, almost any of his movies that I think could be argued to make it onto a top 20 list. Like even if they're ones that I don't particularly like as much as others, like I think they're all good enough to make that cut on someone's list. And I think, with, uh, in this decade, we've seen a lot of like debut feature directors like people who were like get out like ex machina people who were coming out to the scene really hot and really new and i think Denny villeneuve technically this wasn't his debut but it almost feels like debut like it feels like it's, it's very low stakes it's very like big actors and low low drama almost like the witch and this feels like his sort of coming to the stage of north america a very big debut and he's done some huge stuff after this but i think it's really awesome to revisit just this very grounded drama he did i think it's great and that's why it's on uh, 15 for mine not much higher than yours but right around the same amount cool all right um i think that's all that needs to be said on that one so tristan what is your uh 19 my 19 is one that i'm 
and the guess is probably not on anybody else's list. Uh, it's a ghost story by director David Leach from 2017. That's not on mine. Yeah, that, not on my list. Yeah. No, not on my list. Never <laughs> that seen is it. what I figured would happen. <laughs> but I like this movie a lot. It's a very... I mentioned before that I went to school in this, like, corn wasteland of nothing, and it was very isolating sometimes, and all we had was this one theater. And I remember going by myself to watch this movie in that theater with nobody else in the theater but me, and it was this extremely sad movie about someone dying in a car crash and then him having to, him haunting his ex-wife, if you haven't seen it. He's wearing the iconic, like, literal bedsheet with black eyes to be a ghost and it's this sort of metaphorical exploration of what would a haunted house story be like from the perspective of a ghost and I think that's very interesting you get like this existential crisis of what is it like to be a ghost haunting someone that can't hear you that you can't interact with and what is it like after that like what is the cosmos like as a ghost you know I think it's a very trippy movie that brought me into a new kind of you know going from here to watching David Lynch and going from here to watching stuff that is a little more surreal and out of my comfort zone. It was really kind of like that first movie to push me over the edge into watching stuff that was not typically for me or typically straightforward. So I give it a lot of credit for that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of just seeing the critic reviews of it and seeing it being high, I've never really expressed interest in even seeing that one, but you know, with your recommendation, I think I'll check it out, but I'll wait a little while because I just watched probably four different movies with similar tones and it's a little draining after a little while. So I'm going yep. to watch some more positive films before I get back to watching uh, you know, a ghost story. So You can watch my All number right. 19 then. <laughs> All right. What's your number 19, Bobby? Uh, so my number 19 is definitely the most um, popular you know, box office-wise movie that we've mentioned so far. Um, and it just edged out another movie from the same studio to make my top 20, and that is 2015's Inside Out. Uh, If that's on anyone's list, uh, go ahead. It made my list a good amount higher than yours, but... Is it in the top 10? It is not. It's getting there. Number 13. Lucky 13. All right, so we'll talk about it, and I'll let you go also, but I think this Pete Doctor directed movie, I think it shows emotions really well. It has a lot of um, it has a couple adult humor jokes that I think are really funny in there. Um, not even, not like inappropriate, but more like the kids won't understand it. It, uh, the characters are fantastic. I think they got really good voices for everyone. A really creative way to show emotions. Um, and the, you know, Richard kind is bing bong. The, the, you know, everyone's kind of seen it at this point, but the death of bing bong, that scene is, is, uh, it gets you, even though you don't think it's going to happen when you first meet that character. Um, but yeah, I, Pixar makes great movies. This is one, I, one of my favorite Pixar movies for sure. Um, and uh, it just edited out Toy Story 3 to make my list. Uh, Tristan, what do you got for it? Uh, yeah, I think this is a really great movie. I think Pixar in the last decade has kind of been missing a lot. You know, they haven't had like a Toy Story or something like that. There was this big hit. I think they've been making the mistake of revisiting their old IPs a little bit too much. Like I didn't really care about Finding Dory. I don't really care about Toy Story 4. But this was one that stuck out to me as, like, one of their only original movies of the decade between this and Coco, the big good ones, I would say. say. And for me, this really worked on a lot of levels. He mentioned how it appeals to adults and kids together, and I agree with that. And I think it teaches a good message uh, 
where by the end you're realizing that it's okay to be sad sometimes. I think one of the most powerful elements of the movie is that we see Riley like being comforted by her parents when she's depressed. And I think showing kids, especially at a young age, in such a consumable way that it's okay to not feel happy all the time and to sometimes your happy memories also have a little bit of sadness. Sometimes your sad memories have a little bit of anger. Sometimes your angry memories are a little bit of happy. And by the end, it shows people that it's okay to not be like, sunny Disney happy every day and to have your down days and to be able to work through that. And I think being able to talk to kids and show them in sort of like a Mr. Rogers way of like, we take you seriously and your emotions seriously, even though you're young, we know that your, your feelings are real. And I think the inside out can really help. I know I have a really young nephew who, when he's sad, he says literally out loud, like, Oh, sadness is taking over right now because he's autistic and that's kind of like his way of expressing his how he's feeling without being able to express it himself. So I've seen this movie kind of impact people directly and I think that's a really that's what Pixar should be trying to do and Disney should be trying to do rather than just oh here's a animated version of something that you've already seen and <laughs> yeah. you know it's a really good return to form of Disney and I hope they do more like this. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, 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 I want to see more original. I um this one, this one again, it, it feels low when I look at my uh, 100, but this made it on my 100 list is number 60. I really, really enjoy this one. I think I just watched Soul yesterday, and I think between um, Inside Out, Coco, and Soul, it's a really good, like, just like a thematic trilogy, basically, you could look at it as. I, I kind of picture those um, as their own little trilogy because they all kind of go into similar themes, dealing with sadness, dealing with loss, dealing with death, um, things like that. And, and I think Inside Out is easily the best of those three. Um, but I, I, I do have another Pixar in my top 20 that, that edged it out by quite a bit. So, you know, I just, uh, Inside Out, I really loved it, but it just, it didn't impact me maybe the way it would have if I saw it when I was younger. If I'd grown up with this one, it definitely would be like one of my favorite movies of all time, I think. Yeah, I, I think if I had seen it when I was younger, I would have liked it more. And also I saw it later, like I knew about the whole Bing Bong thing before um, I saw it. So like that didn't really affect me at all because I'm like, oh, this is when it happens. But yeah. the one thing Bobby I would did that to anyone else who hasn't seen it, so... <laughs> at this point if you haven't seen inside out you're not that interested in seeing yeah it. we're past the statute of limitations on this one yeah that one's yeah, five years old is, once the blu-ray is out then i feel like it's on you like if you didn't go see it opening night thursday at 7 p.m i'm telling you who does <laughs> <laughs> well that's apparently what everyone decided with the mandalorian so. <laughs> yeah pretty much we're past we're past anyone thinking spoilers or anything yeah. anymore I somehow avoided all the spoilers for Tenet and just recently watched that. But uh, I mean, I, yeah, I feel like kind of try to spoil because you have to understand it to spoil it. And so <laughs> that's true. Very if true. I walked out, someone was like, what happened? I would be like, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I don't know. It happened, man. But the one thing I did want to like bring up is like, could you potentially include Pete Doctor in like the, one of the best modern directors right now? I was looking at what he's directed. Definitely. Yeah. He directed so. four movies, Monsters, Inc., Up, Inside Out, and Soul. His yeah, words, he's, he he's, has uh, an 8.1 on IMDb, which is he's insane. great. I like him as like the new go-to Pixar guy for original, more original not films. Not creepy Exactly, like get Lasseter. You know, you got him out of there. Pete Doctor was the right guy to kind of be. Hey, you're the one doing our original movies now. I don't need to see Pete Doctor's take on Cars Five or whatever the hell they're on. Mm -hmm. But no. anytime there's like an original idea for a 
for a movie, I would like to see Pete Doctor at least produce yeah. on it because I think he's the right guy to kind of be like the head of you know Pixar's yeah. filmmaking. Yeah. But I, I think we've said yeah. more than enough on on this one. Yeah. So that was Bobby's nineteen. So Joe, we're in your eighteen. My eighteen is a uh, my first foreign film in, on the list, and that is I saw the Devil from two thousand ten. Yeah, that's in my top ten. Yeah, so. I figured. We will discuss that at another time. All right. All right. So that brings me to my 18, which is Ben Affleck's best movie, The Town. Not on my list. Name of Superman? <laughs> um, honorable mention. on my list, no. Honorable mention for me. It's real close. Yeah. Okay, so The Town, um, I, I love a good heist movie, and this is probably the I mean, it's got to be the best one of the decade, and it's probably not even close. I, I think um, the best thing about it is I like the scenario that, you know, the characters kind of established. I've never seen another movie where the hostage becomes the love interest. Like, that's an interesting dynamic. Um, ben Affleck is great in it. Jeremy Renner is amazing in it, and I think that's Jeremy Renner's best performance. He's good in um, Wind River, but he really gets to kind of – overact in a good way, like kind of chew the scenery, which is something that he's never really been able to do in his career. So I like that he's able to do it and does it well in the town. Um, you know, Ben, Ben Affleck obviously knows a lot about Boston. So I like that it's in his comfort zone. And I think this was coming to his peak of like, you know, as an auteur director or someone who just like is a, you know, staple. Um, I think again, like I'm waiting for his next movie to maybe get back on track. Um, I think he was kind of in a down point in his career and his life when he directed his last one, which was very forgettable. Um, I don't even know if anyone even remembers the name of that one. Live by Night. Uh, the, yeah. Live, Live by, by night. night. Yeah, that wasn't even a good title. So, you know, it started <laughs> off with a bad thing. So, But I, I just think the town is really good. It has some of the best shootouts since Heat. I like that it takes all the best heist movies since Heat has come out, has taken elements from it. And I think this took elements from it without – just like ripping it off. So I, I think they uh, they really handled it well. And Ben Affleck, um, Gone Baby Gone is really good. And then this was like, okay, I've made one perfect, like almost perfect film. Now I'm going to make a perfect film. I don't think there's really much to criticize on this one. So yeah, um, yeah. if anyone, does anyone else have anything yeah, to, um, say, to say uh, about it? Yeah, my girlfriend and I just recently watched it like a month or so ago. And I really liked it. I almost put it on my list, but it's definitely an honorable mention for me. I will say, you know, this is, I think, the second Rebecca Hall movie that we've brought up. And I feel like she's Mm -hmm. definitely, like, underrated. I feel like film fans know who she is, but, like, the average, like, person just has no idea who Rebecca Hall is. Yeah, I'm going to bring that up. And also, another someone who doesn't get a lot of praise for most of her acting performances but is really good in the town is Blake Lively. Um, She's really good in that, too. I think um, this is maybe the first movie that people were like, maybe we should take Blake Lively more seriously because yeah. before that it wasn't, and she hadn't done anything dramatic. And I don't think she's done anything to like, you know, wave your hat at sense this movie. I think this is the, you know, might be the peak of the performance in her career, but I, I think she's a very watchable actress. I, I think yeah. that's the best you can say, but this is, but she's really, really good in uh in the town. So that's another one that just all the casting really, really stands out. And again, yeah, Rebecca Hall, definitely an underrated actress, one of the best in Hollywood today. And she doesn't get mentioned 
like Scarlett Johansson keeps getting all these roles and I'm quite honestly done with her. I want Rebecca Hall in, you know, more roles and less Scarlett Johansson. So, um, also the town is available to rent on Amazon prime for one ninety nine and Apple TV because it's more expensive on Apple TV. Everything is, is four bucks on there, yeah. uh, but it's not available to stream anywhere. So just get a big, you know, DVD collection like Joe and I do yeah. and it'll be in there. I've got a little one, you know, all contenders right here. (laughs) All right. So that was my 18, um, 18. So Tristan, you, uh, what's your 18? All right. Well, uh, we, we, we thought there'd be a few hot takes in this episode. So I think I'm going to come in with, uh, the first hot take of the episode and I'm ready to, I'm ready to fight this one. You know, I've been holding back laughter for this whole episode, knowing this was coming. <laughs> so oh I'm ready for you guys to let me know what you think of number 18. It's Ryan Johnson's presentation of Star Wars The Last Jedi from 2017. Uh, <laughs> on, on, on your guys' list? It's not, but honestly, I was talking to Joe beforehand. If you take individually The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi, I could put those close to or in my top 20 but the the way the trilogy ended kind of for now has kind of spoiled that for me but i really love last jedi i mean i'm not one of the people that are like you know not my luke and all that like no i, I really love that movie yeah. um not gonna complain if it makes the list for sure yeah i think if the rise of skywalker hit then i think force awakens and the last jedi both have a big chance of making my top 20 but when when because a big part of me for my top 20 was rewatchability and the way the rise of Skywalker ended for now, like what Bobby said, kind of hurts the rewatchability of both those movies. So yeah, neither one made my list. Yeah. For me, um, this is the only um, film wise. This is the only time that Disney has taken a chance. Like every other movie has been so safe. The force awakens was super safe. It was fun when I saw it. You know, since I feel like I've come down on it. The Last Jedi had controversy because it's the first time since probably the prequels that Star Wars has actually taken risks theatrically. Um, and, and I think it pays off mostly. I, I think my problem with it as a whole is individually it has some of the best scenes that Star Wars has ever made. The throne room fight is far and away the best Star Wars scene that's ever been put on screen. There's nothing that comes close. But every single plot point with Finn yeah. in that movie and Poe are, uh, to me, like unwatchable because it felt like Ryan Johnson just didn't care. And you could tell that watching the movie, the film shifted from, obviously, this is the story Ryan Johnson wanted to tell. He wanted to tell the story of Ray and Kylo. And everything else was like, well, I have to include these characters, so I guess they're going to do something. And we're going to just hammer home you know, the same social thing that, you know, just over and over and over and over again. And I hate like subtlety. I like, I I don't like when it just a movie comes out and slaps you in the face with it over and over. But that being said, I I really, the last Jedi is the only one from the trilogy that I'll probably ever go back and rewatch. Like the other two are both dead to me. And this one, I think I can actually watch on a standalone basis. I think this has a lot of really good stuff in it. And, you know, if I'm at home, I can just fast forward through all the, you know, casino planet stuff, which just felt lazy because literally it's just like an earth casino. It was a cool opportunity to make a galactic casino. And it was like, 
they're like playing craps. It was, it was more Harry like, Potter. I hated that. Yeah, it was more Harry Potter than Star Wars. It was yeah. weird. I would I would take that whole plot like that's just a a side plot that sucks on that planet if they actually put the effort in to make that planet look like Star Wars. And I just feel like they didn't do that, and I think that takes you out of the movie. But then it jumps back. Every single scene with Ray in that movie is great. Every single scene with Kylo Ren in that movie is great. And I love everything to do with Luke in that movie. I think I think Luke um, um, is great. You know, in that Mark Hamill was good to see him again. So that's kind of why I, I won't hate you for picking it. I, I think it's a one that people are either really high or really low on. Um, but you know. They just pretended it doesn't exist at Disney anymore, so I think that might make you like it even more. Yeah, that kind of makes it a little more sweeter when you know they're trying to bury it so much. But I do think, like you said, this is the one time that I feel like Disney Star Wars really took a big risk. You know, you can tell on The Mandalorian it's enjoyable, but they're not really doing anything out of the box. You know, they're playing it very safe. They're saying, oh, here's Ahsoka. Here's characters you know from other shows. I don't want to spoil yeah, it. Spoil it, it. Yeah. spoiled it. Yeah. But like, here's stuff that you've seen again, but presented slightly differently. And it's a little disappointing to see uh, the the franchise that was built on risk. The franchise that was built on like doing things that seem like they should never have been done. You know, like doing an entire miniature based Death Star battle at the end of a movie, having a walking carpet that walks around and talks, having the bad guy turned out to be the dad of the main character, not actually the enemy and all these big twists and turns. It feels sad to see the franchise just be now parodying the same thing, just doing over and over and over again. And like you guys have said, if Rise of Skywalker paid it off, this would have been like awesome. (laughs) But does the Godfather two suck because the Godfather three is not that good? You know, and I think you can appreciate movies inside of franchises. We know the sequels don't live up, even though it hurts in the moment, but you know, like, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is still... Or Nightmare on Elm Street is still good, even though there's a bunch of bad Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. And I think you can still appreciate it for what it is. That's my pitch. <laughs> I, I, I think for it, it, the problem is, like, no matter what the Solo movie... Like, I think that movie sucked. Joe liked it. But Solo could come out, and that's not really a trilogy that's not connected. So if that movie was amazing and it didn't match up with the rest, you can be like, okay, but you can look at that as an individual movie. When it's a clear trilogy you have, it's announced as, you know, episode seven, eight, nine. This is the clear trilogy. These are the three movies you've been waiting for all these years that we've announced years and years ago that are going to happen. And then when, honestly, the first one is disappointing when you watch the entire trilogy and the last one is incredibly disappointing and completely makes anything done in The Last Jedi pointless, that affects that movie. I, I don't think that Godfather 3 is a good example of like something like that. Like If The Lord of the Rings, the third one, came out and sucked, that would have made the first two. That would have really hurt the first two um, in my eyes. But I, I think with a trilogy that's so tied, every movie should be so tied together, I do think my love for The Last Jedi was easily hurt because of The Rise of Skywalker. But like I never wavered on my love of you know, the dark night because the dark night rises, even though, you know, it's the same trilogy. It doesn't connect, you know, you don't need the story of the second one to set up for the next one. You don't need that. So I just hate that they retconned everything in the third one. They didn't retcon all of the Godfather two and the Godfather three, you know, so maybe if I had just gone back in time and warned myself, whatever you do, don't see rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I think the last Jedi at least nice. made my top 100, but you know, because of, because of the Rise of Skywalker being one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life, 
the last Jedi is is hindered by that. So all right, that's, well, I think that's, we, we could do our own Star Wars podcast on, on all these to, you know, probably take two to three hours to talk about the ability <laughs> yeah. alone. Yeah, that might that one might be our longest discussion, but yeah, we'll see. Bobby, you're on your 18. All right, so it was already Rebecca Hall heavy, and now it's going to be Joel Edgerton heavy because I have two, 2011's Warrior, uh, directed yeah, by Gavin that's, O'Connor. That's in your top 10. That's in your top 10. Yeah, I love this top movie. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it later. Um, wow. it, yeah, it's a really, really good movie. So right. yeah, that's, so, that uh, barely, that's an honorable that mention. That, that's my number 23. So yeah. we'll, I've um, seen it, but it didn't make any real impact on me. I might have to watch it again. Yeah. Give it another shot. Yeah. I really yeah, like for it. Sure. Um, so that one we will discuss once, uh, once Joe reveals how high it made it on his list. Joe, what is your number 17? So my 17 is, I didn't include a year. Don't know why, uh, is, uh, just speaking of the Mandalorian, uh, John Favreau's movie Chef. Oh, oh wow! Really good movie. Not top twenty, but I really, really enjoy Chef. Yeah, yeah not on my list, but I but a very enjoyable family movie. Yeah, I think you had it on your honorable mentions for your top one hundred. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah, we didn't make my list, list, but I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad yeah, it made yours. It's a really good, you know, food movie about a guy that you know gets. Fired from a restaurant, his fired slash quits his restaurant job, and so he decides to start a food truck and travels around with his friend and this kid. And the movie, if you don't know, is basically about Iron Man Two, where um, John Favreau made Iron Man Two, but the producers at Marvel and Disney told him he basically had to set up the Avengers, and he couldn't make Iron Man Two like he wanted. And then the critics shit all over it, blaming him, saying he made the movie bad. And he's basically like, I didn't get to make the movie I wanted to make. I had to make their movie. And so he went off and made an independent movie, Chef, where Chef is about a guy who a critic's coming to his restaurant and he wants to make a new inventive menu. But the guy that owns the restaurant tells him, hey, you kind of have to make the menu you've been making. You have to do what we tell you to do. You don't get to make, you know, this is my restaurant. You have to make our food. You don't get to do what you want to do. Uh, the critic doesn't like the food, shits all over him, so he goes and starts a food truck. Um, but yeah, it's just a good food movie. If you're not hungry at all, you will finish this movie and be starving. Those sandwiches that they make, yeah, those, yeah it's, yeah. it's all really good. I also recommend watching the Chef TV show on Netflix. Yeah. It's basically yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've heard, I've heard good things. Yeah, Robert uh, Rodriguez. They make pizza with Robert Rodriguez on there. <laughs> My one issue with the with the um, with Chef is I work in the restaurant business, and that makes me enjoy the film a lot because of all the food aspects, and I love to see the cooking. But maybe it's different in five-star restaurants. But if the head chef of a five-star restaurant says he's going to do this with the menu, there's not one person in the world that says, nope, you can't do that. That's such- Hoffman does. Like, that is a very unrealistic take on what that is, and it's only because of the Iron Man 2 drama that that plot line is a thing. Um, And I think that kind of weakens the overall plot of the movie. That takes me out of it a little, because I'm like, this dude is a chef at a five-star restaurant. What he says goes. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody else... I don't give a shit if you own the restaurant. That chef is saying, yeah, I'm not doing that. Like, And he does that to some extent. He kind of walks out, but he stays and makes the food for him and the critic doesn't like it. But like what the chef says at that restaurant would go over anybody else because for a restaurant to be successful, 
And the man, like the owner would never say that to the chef. Like, no, you can't do what you want. We're just going to make, you know, make the same, same old, same old. So I don't love that aspect of it, but the rest of the film, it's a, it's a super fun family movie. John Favreau's great in it. I love all the cooking. It will make you super hungry, but I, I, it's not like a movie you turn on for the performances. It's not one that, you know, it's, I, I prefer just for myself when I'm watching movies, maybe I'm just a psychopath, but I like darker films most of the time, um, which probably will be the uh, tone of most of the movies in my top 20. Chef is a perfectly enjoyable family film. I'll watch that with my family and my kids one day rather than like I saw the devil, which you mentioned, but you know, I, I, yeah, I think I chef, your kids to be interesting. You know, I mean, when they're like 13, sure. But like, yeah, not when they're five, I can watch chef with my family, but yeah, yeah I think it's a very enjoyable like cable movie. Yeah. All right. So that was Joe. Is, is that streaming anywhere? Oh yeah. It's on uh, Netflix and it's from 2014. I looked it up. You can find All Star right. Wars, the last Jedi on Disney plus streaming <laughs> today. I think we know that one. Yeah, there you go. All right, my number 17 is a little film by an unknown director named Quentin Tarantino. It's called Django Unchained. Does that make anybody's list? That is written written as an honorable mention just outside. Not on my list either. That is on Netflix currently um, and has been for a while now. Um, Django is... I think incredible. It gets better every time I watch it. It was one that I was, I really enjoyed when I left the theater, but felt like, Ooh, it's not as good as Inglorious Bastards. So I don't know. And it's still not as good as Inglorious Bastards, but watching it, it's one of Tarantino's most rewatchable movies. And I think even though it has graphic content, it's probably one of his most accessible movies. If someone wasn't really as into um, film, like I'm not going to show someone Pulp Fiction if they, if their favorite movie, you know, is like a, I don't know, like storks. Like if they like, if they like, just like entertain me for a little while, but, but I think Django Unchained is more accessible, like, because the violence is more cartoony. It doesn't really throw you off. It does have more humor than a lot of his other movies. And I think it works. Um, so I, I think um, Django's really good. Jamie Foxx is great in it. And all the cast is great. Um Christoph Waltz, again, won Best Supporting Actor for two Tarantino films in a row. I think um, just overall, it's maybe an underrated film in, in Tarantino's career. And I, and I think it's a very rewatchable, enjoyable one. It's one that when it was like when I owned cable, if that was on TV, I would stay and watch it no matter what I was doing. So it's just one of those movies that I can always throw on and enjoy. And I've watched it a lot. It has a great soundtrack, too which is um, a theme of Tarantino. I was really excited for him to do another Western and then the hateful eight I thought was terrible. So um, I, I liked that Django was great and he kind of got back on track with once upon a time in Hollywood, but for the decade, I prefer Django for sure. Yeah. Does anyone have any like negative things to say about it? Or uh, I think otherwise we've um, probably said anything. I, I think the, the only, I love the movie. The only reason I think it maybe didn't make my top 20 is for the story it's telling. I don't think it needed to be two hours and 45 minutes, Yeah. but um, it's a great movie. I mean, yeah, it, it's really, really good. See, I think for that, I could be like, oh, wow, the runtime is really long. But when I think back on the film, there's not one scene that I'd be like, you know, I'm going to cut back on this. I can sit back and just enjoy that one, no matter 
at what point I start watching it or if I just start watching it and get it for a while. I think it works that it sets up the characters really well and then it brings in Leo. What about Australia and Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that scene is like three minutes yeah, long. I know. Like, just just you know, that. and yeah, like obviously the acting isn't great or the accent isn't great either, but that scene works. Like I, I think everything in that movie, it feels like already that movie maybe was like a four hour movie cut down to what it was. Whereas I feel like um, the hateful eight was the opposite. It was like, we need to add things cause we need to make this one really long. And we're, because I'm going to have like a, you know, a part one and a part two and all this stuff. And, Django to me flowed the whole time. It's three hours that flies by rather than, you know, a sit. Like there are some two hour movies that I've seen that I'm just like, when will this end? But Django, I can watch the whole movie of and never look at the clock. So I think it flows really well. And it's the best performance of Leo's career. He should have won the Oscar for this movie. He's a thousand times better in this than The Revenant. I'll say just very quickly, I don't have a lot to say on this one, but I think all of Tarantino's movies this decade didn't make my list, and this is also probably my least favorite of his movies this decade. I liked Hatefully a lot more. I liked uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot more than both of them. I think that's one of his better movies. And I just think that this was just kind of a step away. Like It, it started showing to me that Tarantino's style is a little bit outdated, and I think him getting beyond his hyper-violent style in other movies has made it a lot more interesting. And I think this felt like a bit of a throwback for him, but not necessarily the direction I want his career to be going. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. I think with this one, I like that he kind of stuck with, okay, Kill Bill is the Tarantino movie of samurai films. Django Unchained is the Tarantino movie of Westerns, um, you know, of my revenge tale, basically. And I think... Inglorious Bastards is like his take on a war film. So I look at those three because he counts volume one and two of Kill Bill as uh, one movie. I think you can look at those as like his basically revenge trilogy, like the old boy and Lady Vengeance trilogy. I think this one works as like this is the Tarantino vengeance trilogy. And, and I think it I think it works well. I think it caps it off well, although it is definitely the weakest of those three. But I still really, really enjoy it. So I think that's why. Yeah. All right, uh, Tristan, we're on to your 17. All right, my number 17 is probably the last on this list that people haven't seen a lot of. Uh, it's 2017's The Endless from Justin Benson and Aaron uh, Moorhead. It's an indie sci-fi. Is that on anybody's list or anybody seen it? Um, it's not. I, I just watched it the other day because Tristan mentioned it. I've never heard of it. It's very, very low budget. Um mm-hmm. But but I but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very enjoyable film. I could see why someone would love it, but you might have to do a little defense on why it's so high on your list because I, I don't I don't quite see you know that being especially with the level of acting in the film being nothing nothing you know very good. Like the four of us could have been in that movie and the acting would have been wouldn't have been any different. But I think the story it told was really good. So I think the only reason this is as high is because you're like well. It's an independent movie that took risks. Well, that, but I also think it's kind of encompasses an era of what filmmaking can be. Like, you've seen a lot of big blockbusters this year and a lot of like indie launch titles like Ex Machina and stuff like that. And I think that 
this is a reminder that like where you can have absolutely nothing you can have like no effects you can have no good actors and you can still make a really good compelling interesting movie that i think has a lot to say and i think this individually was kind of like a movie that inspired me to want to like get back into making movies and get back into writing scripts and i think just the reflection of what can be done with with today with the amount of cameras that are available for next to nothing the amount of places you can go like this is just a reminder that indie films like clerks are still happening you know stuff that's very very small budget something you feel like is very early 90s and not very now can still happen something with absolutely nothing like a primer can come along and just hit and work and i really think it's kind of inspiring they had a movie that was supposed to come out this year but unfortunately with covid it launched in like may or something so nobody saw it <laughs> but i'm interested yeah. to see what they do with that because it's a bigger budget much bigger budget sci-fi movie i definitely think like if these people break out this these would be great people for even like the mcu to just be like hey who can tell a story that's low budget like the russo brothers that we can just throw on like a weird like a, like a doctor strange movie if they announced that these guys were doing a doctor strange movie i'd be like man good for them because they will get their paycheck. And I think they're very good filmmakers just from what I saw. I think it plays a little too loosey goosey with the rules sometimes that they set up in the movie. I think that wise, like story structure wise, they could have established a little better, but I also like that, you know, I say that, but then I also like in the movie that it's a lot of people trying to guess at what's happening. Like, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I I do like the idea of a sci-fi movie, not having the, like Inception has the Joseph Gordon-Levitt char- character that breaks everything down to this is, you know, piece by piece, everything you need to know and you need to pay attention or you won't know. This one has a uh, way. This one's obviously very different, but this, the rules of this one are kind of more loosey goosey and it might actually work because people are guessing at what's happening. No one says this is clearly what's happening, but I think they could have played that angle a little better. I don't think they played that you know, as strongly as they could have, which I would have really liked, but I get it. Like, I, I think this movie is a really good one. I've never heard of it. It's definitely the lowest budget. That's probably going to be on any of our, our lists. Um, and I thought even for such a low budget movie, it's one of some of the best effects that I've seen in one, you know, they did a cool job with no budget making believable uh, visuals. So I recommend it too. It's, I watched it on Netflix. So anyone out there watch uh, the endless, I, I think, um, it starts off, you might be like, why does this look like a 90s movie when it came out in 2017? But, you know, you get sucked into it, and, and I think it it takes a little while to get going, but once it gets going, I think it gets really good. Yeah, if you liked Primer, or if you like Dark on Netflix, it's kind of a similar tone and similar vibe to Dark, but a lot more independent, a lot more smaller. So if you like those kind of like get-in-your-head sci-fi, kind of make up your own ending sort of thing, where like you presented the text, it's up to you as a viewer to sort of like interpret what you're, what answer you're getting from that. I think yeah. it inspired a lot of interesting conversations. So if you want to check it out and get some weird, super low budget sci-fi going on, I definitely recommend it. Nice. All right. Bobby 17. All right. So my 17 is uh, this another movie. That's the second of a trilogy. I think one of the best trilogies made um, in this past decade. Uh, and that is how to train your dragon oh, uh, too. Not, not the direction um, you're going. I liked it a lot, yeah, but not exactly. On my list. Johnny, not on my list. Not on my else? list. Nope. Yeah. Great one. All right. So I, I this is uh, for an animated trilogy. I think it's fantastic. It tells a really good story. I love how they age up all the characters in between each movie. Um, I think the second one is definitely the strongest. Um, 
and it's just it's it's a very epic tale. It, it's very family. Um, it has a really strong family message. Uh, you know, you you have you still have the, you know, the son doing things the father, you know, may not um, love and and didn't really want him to do when he in the first one, and then the second one he kind of accepts it and find their mother. It's just I think I find a really epic tale. I find you know toothless, adorable, and a really just you know, a really cool creation, cool and adorable at the same time. Uh, one of my wife's favorite trilogies ever, really, um, and one of her favorite characters in Toothless. Um, I think all the voices work really well. Jay Baruchel um, is perfect for the role that he's in. Um, I really, I just, I, I really like the theme of the themes of the movies. I had to pick one of these to put on there because I think it was a really well done trilogy. Uh, that the third one, even though it may be the weakest, ends the story really well, which is kind of what like Return of the Jedi did. It's the weakest movie, but ends the story really well. Kind of what they did for this one as well. Um, but the second one is kind of the, the peak for me. Um, I just had to include it. Um, but yeah, I really like all three of these movies are great. Yeah. I think as a trilogy, it's really good. Um, I, the only reason it didn't really make my, I mean, how to train dragon two was definitely my favorite of the three. It didn't cut, like make my top 100 because I think the only thing about it that I can say, that's not really a negative, but just not a list making reason is when I watch inside out, when I watch Coco, um, even Soul, which I just watched, I'm more emotionally connected to the characters. And I think that's important for an animated movie. So like by the time any major deaths happen in the second one, um, of this, you know, trilogy, I don't really care that much. It doesn't have the emotional draw that like, um, Pixar is maybe better at establishing, but other than that, I think How to Train Your Dragon is a perfectly entertaining movie from start to finish. I just don't think it has that, like, you know, chef's kiss of if I was emotionally invested into these characters the way I am in most Pixar movies, like the original Pixar movies, um, I think that would really, like, bring it up and it would have made my list. Um, but I consider it at least as an honorable mention. But I just think overall, I, I like it. It's very enjoyable, but it's more like a Big Hero 6 level it entertains me from start to finish, but there's nothing that blows me away. Other than the yeah, animations, yeah. which I think is right. crazy good. The dragons yeah, flying around and stuff, I think is really good. And I love Jay Baruchel in it. Um, I'm just never like, you know, sucked in. That movie's never going to, I'm never going to shed a tear watching the How to Train Your Dragon movies, which, you know, I think I can for some animated movies and the ones that I can go a little higher. Or yeah, and, I, a little more and to me, I do, I connect a lot with the characters in that movie, especially kind of the, the boy and his dog type thing with him and Toothless and the way that yeah. kind of resolves throughout the trilogy, um, I think is tear worthy um, for sure. And then uh, even, you know, his dad dying in the second one and all that again, spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I was again, trying to again, this one, again, these are yeah, again, okay. with the popular movies like this. I'll spoil a little more than some of the ones that people <laughs> haven't seen, but um, but yeah, I, I, I find it emotional. I, re I just really like this trilogy and had to put it on here. So, um, yeah. Understandable. Mm -hmm. All right. R.I.P. Gerard Butler. Um, who's turn? So, Joe, that brings us to your 16. All right. So my last movie was Chef, which was a nice, you know, happy, cheery movie. So I decided for my 16 to go in a little bit different direction. And my 16 is uh, 2016's Hush. Directed by Mike Flanagan, currently streaming on Netflix. Not on my list. Not on my list. Not on mine. I, I want to see that, though. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really good, smaller, 
horror movie you know it's not like supernatural it's a movie that could happen to anyone really anywhere at any time it's uh stars his wife uh mike flanagan's wife who plays a deaf writer who's alone in her house and she's tormented by just some random creepy stranger with a crossbow and since she can't hear him it allows him to walk around her house being undetected and he wears like a weird creepy mask and it's just her trying to survive and uh, fight him, essentially. It's a great one. If you like the cast of uh, of uh, Haunting a Hill House, there's a crossover connection. So if you've been watching uh, Blind, Modern, Blind Matter and Hill House recently, definitely go back and check that out. Plus the director connection. It's a great one. I definitely endorse Joe's pick for it. Yeah, yeah I think um, I think the only reason... I mean, I haven't seen this one, so I think maybe you know I see it and it's enjoyable, but... I just don't see a movie like this unless it really, really surprises me. Just not getting totally lost in the mix of all of these little independent horror movies that get, um, you know, highly praised for a little while until the next one comes out, which was like, don't breathe and you're next. Um, And even like ready or not, I think that one was a little more comedy in it, but I think all those movies are, perfectly enjoyable but they're forgettable i don't see myself watching hush and being blown away but i really liked dr sleep so maybe i'm wrong on that just because maybe this has a stronger director than the other ones um but i just feel like every year there's like one horror movie that's like that's similar to hush as far as the hype goes and it's forgotten by like the next year so i'm glad to see it so high on your list maybe it's different than i expected but that's the only reason i really haven't decided to take the time to kind of visit it but it's on my watch list it's been on there for like three years i do think it's worth watching my criticism is basically coming toward that i think the villain is not very interesting you know when you're doing a slash movie like this you want to at least have some investment in like oh you want to understand jason you want to understand you know um michael myers but this it just felt like some kind of sort of a random dude like i didn't really feel scared of him or like invested in his development or anything like that so I really enjoy, I really like the lead woman and her performance, but I think what held it back for me for getting anywhere close to my top 20 is that it just didn't do much interesting development with the villain in any way. He's just there to attack her and chase her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can understand that aspect too of wanting more from the villain when he's just kind of I, th- there. I think sometimes that can make a horror movie better though because I like realistic horror movies. I'm not really ever freaked out by supernatural or unrealistic things. So when it's just like, when someone gets murdered, unless it's a passionate crime, most of the time it's just like, hey, this random creepy guy, like, is a serial killer. Like, you know, I, I think that kind of works in some movies. I think The Strangers is really underrated in terms of that, because I think that one, you don't know why it's happening. I don't love the central performances of the main characters. I think that's what hurts that movie, but I like what they went for with. We're just doing it because it's fun. I kind of liked that um element of like some of those slasher movies i don't need yeah. to know the backstory of why it's happening so i have also, a lot yeah, of I'm horror check movies this one out and talk i have a lot of horror about. movies on my list here uh, and i think we have interesting divide on like what we get out of horror because mine are not not like slasher type movies they're more of like the existential kind of strange movies so it's very yeah. I- interesting to see the different sides of the genre yeah. definitely definitely i have a couple of horror movies, maybe one or two. Um, all right, so that, Joe, was your 16. My number 16 is my favorite um, 
just basically straight up comedy, but it's more of a rom-com in a way. But the big sick is my number 16 Camille Nanjiani's film, um, uh, which I think is amazing. Um, So that's my 16. Is that on anyone's list? No, that's my six. That's my uh, 14. So yeah, Yeah. it's, I love that movie. Um, Yeah. Nice. What really blew me away about this movie was every single movie about stand-up comedy is terrible, except for this one. Every other movie made before this doesn't really capture, like, just listening to a lot of podcasts, I'm really into stand-up comedy. Um, This is the only one that actually kind of captures the life of a stand-up comedian. I also really like um, movies that kind of give you uh, kind of a new perception or a look into um, maybe like foreign families or different cultures that you don't really understand or seem kind of crazy to you, like um, Camille Nanjiani. Um, being Pakistani, his family is trying to give him like an arranged marriage, but he just wants to be a comedian. And, you know, they want him to um, be a doctor and marry, you know, a woman who looks like him and stuff. And, and that's his real life story. I think it really works well. Um, You would never know watching the film that it's not his actual wife that, you know, the story is his real life story about him meeting his wife. But um, this one is just a, Really good film. They have great chemistry. It's really, really funny, and it's got a lot of heart. And Ray Romano kills it. Ray Romano is awesome. Best performance of his career. Best yeah, performance easily. of his career by far. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Definitely so. a good one. I think what knocked sit down for me a bit is that I think the ending is the ending is just a little bit too like saccharine and everybody gets along by the end kind of ending. And I think for a movie that could have been so interesting and subversive, it was kind of disappointing to see it at by, right at the end just kind of go for like the rom-com happy ending. And, but I do like it a lot. I just think the ending was kind of weak for me. In a way, I mean, it never really had the big moment of let's have the big final kiss, now we're in love, or we'll cut to the wedding. Like, it had him, you know, joking with her at the end or finding her and stuff. Like, And it's his real-life story, which I think is a little, you know, it's pretty true to how everything happened. Obviously, you got to make some things a little more dramatized. But, I mean, what's a more traumatic story than being in love with someone and then breaking up with them and then they get sick and then, you know, you're the one taking care of them for a long time. Like, you know, I I think all of that is so interesting and it's just a story going into it. I had no idea what it was about other than Camille was in it and he's one of my favorite comedians. So I went to see it and I was just start to finish, loved it. Every I've watched it six or seven times since then. I, I think this one is just, Amazingly entertaining. When a rom-com is done well, that's like, it seems kind of out of my range based on a lot of the movies on my list, but I'm a sucker for coming of age films and rom-coms when they're done well. And this one does it, you know, better than any I've seen, I think. So that's why it made my, uh, so high and I'm glad to see it. So high on yours too, Bobby. Yeah. I mean, I think you've said, you know, a lot of what I was thinking on it too. I just have to mention it has, the best, because I don't think you can do them well almost ever, like the best 9-11 joke you can possibly ever make <laughs> um, that made the entire theater just crack up and like shock when he when when it said. Um, so it's worth it even just to, to see that. If you want to like just see why that movie's so funny, watch that clip. Go watch the movie. It's really heartfelt. Uh, great performances. And when it's a true life story, it just hits even harder. So uh, I love that movie. Definitely. Yeah, really great. So... We're on our 16. We have Tristan's 15, but we do not have your 16. So what is that? 
My 16, we talked about nice, fun, coming-of-age rom-coms. My 16 is Sing Street from 2016 from director John Carney. I've never seen it. It's been on my watch list forever since it came out, and I have not seen it yet, but I know I like it. Yeah, I love Sing Street. I watched it, like, I remember when it first came out, I watched it, and then, like, a month later, I watched it again, and then, like, a month after that, I watched it again, and I haven't watched it since, but I really like it. It's a really good, you know, brother relationship. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's about a young kid in England who uh, creates an 80s kind of pop band to impress a girl that uh, lives near his school. So it's sort of it's sort of he's creating original songs with him and his friends that are very cheesy, but also very good. It has a very good soundtrack. I think the soundtrack, uh, John Carney does original soundtracks for all his movies. He did once uh, and Begin Again. Those are kind of his genre of movie. He creates all original score and it's about musicians who are like, making the song essentially and some of these songs are so catchy you think they were like legitimate pop songs <laughs> like i know I, I bought the soundtrack for my dad and gave it to him and he hadn't even seen the movie and he just started mm-hmm. liking the songs so i think this is a great cute coming of age movie where he just kind of wants to win the girl and he goes and relies on his friends to try and make that happen so if you want something that's feel good make it have a Smile on your face, maybe cry at the end. Something to feel good at the end of 2020. Check out Sing Street. You'll be singing along the whole time. Cool. And um, we haven't said the last few, but because that one's uh, kind of hard to find. Is that streaming anywhere? I think it's on Netflix, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I watched it off with a Blu-ray, so I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. That's why it's tough for me to find some of these because I own mm-hmm. them all. Um, but The Big Sick, I know, was on Amazon Prime. Uh, for free, so, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen it. Joe loves it. I've he- heard Joe praise that before, so I'll definitely check that one out eventually. Um, that and Begin Again are both have been on my watch list, like, for a while, but I just have never... I know, definitely recommend this before you watch it Begin Again. Yeah. This one's a lot better. At least the music-wise is a lot better. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. If If a musical is, like... For me, it's tough to enjoy a musical because I don't love them all. But when the music works for me, then I then I really like it. So I, I think just knowing what this one's more about, I think this one will hit me better than a lot of others I've seen. So okay. I think that's really all we got to uh, say on that one. Let me look up real quick. Sing Street is... It's just available. It's one ninety nine on Amazon Prime to rent, which is cheaper than a lot of the other ones. So that's a pretty good price for it. So that's a good cool. one to find uh, if someone wants to check that out. So we are on Bobby's sixteen. All right, my you 16. said the big sick was your fourteen, right? It was my fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I have that written down right. Um, so my sixteen is a movie directed by the famed director of Babe, Pig in the City. Um, and that is <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road uh, from 2015. Yeah, that's higher. Um, is it in your top 10? Yeah, it's top 10. Okay. Yeah, I love, love the movie, and we'll, again, we'll talk about that later. So that's a couple of mine that's been, that have been skipped now because of Joe. So we yeah, might have well, interesting. Bobby, Bobby and Joe with the similarities. Yeah. Should have known. So we're on the mini, and then I think this might be one that uh, Johnny kicks. I don't know. My number 15 is from 2016, and that's Train to Busan, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. No, that's not in my top 20, but it's oh, wow. definitely in my top 100. It's around number 50-ish. But... Okay, I figured it was higher for yeah. you. 
But yeah, it's a, I don't think it's on any of your guys' lists. It's not on my list, no. but it's a great one. Yeah. I'm excited to hear what you think of it. 40, 47 right behind Logan for me. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Logan, like I'm a big fan of like those guy that has to protect the little girl movie, whether it's Logan or Leon the Professional or Man on Fire. It's a genre in the last few years I found out I'm a really big fan of. And that's mm-hmm. one of those movies. It's his dad that uh, has to take his daughter uh, to Busan. It's a South Korean movie. And I think to take her back to her mom and a zombie outbreak breaks out. And he's not like the most caring, loving dad. He's kind of, you know, does his own thing. And then during the movie, he realizes like how much he cares for his daughter and how much he has to watch out for her and protect her. And, you know, there's some great side characters too i can't remember the guy's name but there's like this other like expect like dad who his pregnant wife who's a great side character in the movie and he's probably my favorite character in the movie yeah dong dong sick ma is um is his name i, I looked it up because i can yeah i struggle with the names obviously sometimes with that but he's really good in it he's like the best thing that makes a horror movie good for me is um characters that i'm rooting for characters that i actually feel for or you know if if a movie has characters i don't care about i'm not afraid of anything because i don't give a shit what happens to them almost every single character they introduce and train to basan they do a great job of making you care for them they do a great job of having everyone have different personalities and things and being different age range or at different points in their life you have the dad who's kind of the you know the, the dad who's not really there with his kid you, so you have the father-daughter dynamic like that. You have the um, somewhat newlyweds with a pregnant wife. You have a teenager there with this baseball team that's also there with, like, you know, the girl he likes. So I like that it sets up all those different aspects of every character. Um, Train to Busan is very, very good. Um, and um, Wusik Choi, who is the son in... Parasite is in this one, and he's a big star in South Korea now. I've seen him pop up in a bunch of movies since this, but he's great. He's the baseball player in this one. So, no, it's a little lower on my list just because I'm not as interested in zombie movies, but this is easily the best zombie uh, movie that's ever been made. I think it's not even close. This is the only one that I've ever watched and been like, that was really good. It depends on the live comment to going back to your private message. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, live, live comments. That's uh, my mom commenting, who I didn't know was still watching. Said, "I'm glad to see you're back to real movies and not forgotten ones." Well, uh, and then we have another comment here from Paul Two Twenty, uh, who says it's eight o'clock and you're down to uh, number seventeen. So will this be a two part or three part thing? Uh, Bobby Same. answered, "Yes, this will most likely be a two part. I mean, will definitely be a two part thing." Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're gonna movies. I think we're going to save our top 10 to um, next, to, week. Uh, next week probably because yeah. we, we figured going into it, we'll kind of feel it out. We'll see how long it goes. Um, it was going to be tough to get what essentially could have been 80 different movies talked about. Usually we do seven pitches and that takes yeah. us almost three hours. So, you know, we figured this yeah. would we'll probably be harder. So, yeah, so we'll get down to our 11 and then we'll um, – <laughs> We'll probably, and like it's to, gonna uh, go faster because like we have a, bun- a few that we're skipping now. Yeah, we're yeah. we're getting to the point where it's a few two, I think I'm gonna skip. Yeah, yeah, All right. yeah, yeah. Train to Busan. Check Train it out. Busan? Yeah, 
So that was your number 15? Train to Busan was my 15, yeah. Cool. Yep. So uh, Tristan, your 15 was Prisoners. Uh, so we've already gotten your 15. So Bobby, what is your 15? How about you? Uh, your 15. Yeah, I was going to say. I was like, yeah, I you have yours. I skipped myself. Um, all right. One um, that I don't know if it'll be on anyone else's list is uh, Straight Outta Compton. Is my number not 15. on my list. No, the no. third the third act put it below my twenty. See, I hear people say that, but I, I think that was just like a common criticism by like no, John I, Camp, by no. like John Campia, and it got very popularized. And, and I, I, that I, I, I guess I could it, see it. I I don't know. I mean, it's I watched. Much. I've seen this movie a ton, and and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think it's directed very well. I I think um, every part of it for me works I, I think that's the difference of my opinion of it compared to some that may have it lower or not as interested because i think it flows really well i think one of probably the top five performances of the decades is Easy. jason mitchell as the eze yeah. he should have won that year far and away on yeah who is paul um we uh have been trying to figure that out for a couple weeks now. we want so you to paul. come on the show and tell us your favorite movies paul comment them down below and tell us we want to. We want exactly. to see what your thoughts are. Yeah. We'll base coming. Yeah, coming Paul, on the show off what your favorite what movies are. Yeah, yeah. Show up, Paul. Show up, Paul. Um. Anyway, so back to this. I think F. Gary Gray does a great job. I really like the cast. Um, N.W.A. is one of my favorite um, hip hop groups of all time. I think it's the best hip hop group of all time. You know, sorry, Wu Tang Clan, but I really, really love N.W.A. and and the story is something that is very cinematic. There's a lot of stuff that happened, and I think this movie did a good job portraying at least the base of it. Obviously, there are criticisms that this doesn't go into, um, you know, some of the negative things that it could have with Dr. Dre and Ice Cube because they helped produce the film. Maybe they're not seen as, like, some of the, you know, doing some of the bad things that they, they did in their life. But I think as far as a film goes, I think that works pretty well. I think um, this is my favorite musical biopic since walk the line. It's probably my second favorite of all time. Um, And it just makes me way more interested in a movie when I actually really, really enjoy the music that is in it. Um, And and it's a movie too, that even though it takes place in the late eighties, early nineties, it's very relevant to today. It's going to be very relevant till the end of time. And, and, you know, it's about real life events and it doesn't have to go back to the 1700s or 1800s to tell the struggle of um, black people in this country and the, and the issues that they've gone through. And, and I think this one does a good job of telling you that story as well as telling you the band's, um, you know, story of how they got together and the drama within it. And, you know, obviously easy ease death and just a lot of things that I haven't seen a movie handle so well. Um, going for so many different things because this takes up. You could make a you could make three movies based on the story of NWA, and this did it in one. So I, I guess that's probably why some people think the third act is a little rushed because it tries to get into, um, you know, the later aspects of their careers. But I, I think it handles it very well, and I think throughout this film, like from start to finish, is super enjoyable. And uh, I watched this on a plane, and I don't recommend that because there's a lot more nudity in it than I remember and I was watching on a plane. So don't, don't um, completely recommend that one. People might uh, look at you funny, but great movie. Yeah. I love the movie. Like, like I said, like it's not, 
Like the third act thing doesn't take me like, oh, I hate the third act, but it just takes it below the top 20 for me because it kind of, the pacing kind of like, it, it to me, it rushes that, that, that whole story of Easy dying and all that to me a little bit, but it's still awesome. I mean, the way they portray everyone, um, I mean, Ice Cube's son uh, is great. It, like yeah, Jackson, all, great. Jackson Jr., he's really good, um, along with Jason Mitchell. But yeah, really good movie. Uh, just outside my top 20, I just feel like the third act is just not quite as strong as yeah. the first two. Yeah. The other thing I can say about it is one of my favorite movie scenes of all time is when Dr. Dre is teaching Easy how to rap. I think that scene is amazing, and especially because it was it was real. Like, that's not something they just made up to make Easy look bad or anything. Like, he had no idea, and they taught him how to do it, and then he became – he was the reason that band blew up. You know, he was the the big guy that got popular. So I, I really enjoy uh, – Straight out of Compton, and and uh, that is pretty much all that we probably need to say about that one. Um, yeah, great okay. so, performance by Keith Stanfield, but yeah, true. Yeah, he's not in it very much, but um, he's good in every. Again, that one like could have been nominated for best casting because it was a risk putting, you know, some of the people in that movie. They did like, oh, we're just going to put Ice Cube's son in it, but I think he's shown even since this one came out that he can he can really act, and and I like that they gave who was clearly the best actor of the bunch is Jason Mitchell, which has obviously had his problems since this one has come out, um, which is, which is a bummer. Um, Cause you know, he's, he's so good in this, but he was easily the best actor and they gave him the, the part that needed the most dramatic acting. So I think that yeah. worked out very well too uh, for the story that it was telling. So that is my 15 Tristan. We've mentioned your 15 is prisoners. So Bobby, what is your 15? All right, my 15, or my, yeah, my 15 is a uh, surprisingly the, what, seventh movie of a franchise, um, and that would be Creed from 2015. Yeah, that's in my top 10. Um, yeah, so Joe and I, yeah, I, I love that movie again, and Joe, we're very similar, but we're kind of mismatched, and we're numbering them. So, yeah, uh, yeah let's get to yours. Uh, Real quick, I'm going to see if... Uh, Sorry, straight out of Compton is. I don't know my apps. My thing's not working, so never mind. I'll let people know if that's streaming anywhere. But I feel like a lot of more people have seen that one than some of the other ones we've talked about. So, Joe, what's your fifth or fourteen? My fourteen is a Ridley Scott classic from twenty fifteen, The Martian. Not you the counselor. No <laughs> man. Not on my list. It's a super dad movie. I'm a big fan <laughs> of dad movies. I'm all about dad movies. Matt Damon's a great dad movie actor. Um, yeah. but that's my that is my number seventy two in my top one hundred, right behind Moonrise Kingdom. So I love Moonrise yeah. Kingdom. So The Martian, I I really liked it. I I actually I know people make fun of it for being the Golden Globes, you know, best comedy, comedy nomination, yeah, but I think the best. Movie. But the best part of that movie is the comedy. I think the comedy works yeah. really well. Yeah. I'm laughing throughout that entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like one of the ones I could see it being nominated, but then when it wins, it's like kind of, it's like just bad. And you can't really blame the movie for winning an award. You know, it feels no, on part of me. It feels on part of me. It's something like Ford versus Ferrari where you like, it comes out and you're like, that was enjoyable. And then you just never really revisit it again, ever. Yeah. Dad movie. Well, I've seen Ford versus Ferrari four times. Like, yeah, so I'll probably sit and watch it, but I'm not gonna go out and like seek the Martian. 
Yeah, I, I do really like the Martian. I love Ford versus Ferrari too. Neither of them are in my top 20, but um, yeah, I, I actually do really like those dad movies for sure. Yeah, that's why I said me and Bobby would have more similarities because I knew we more we do like weird movies occasionally, but we I feel like we both veer more towards the dad movies. The only two dads on the show. Sure. Congratulations. Neither of that's Congrats, true. Guys. Um, <laughs> not that you know of. Um, so, yeah, the uh, the Martian, I thought I was pleasantly surprised because Ridley Scott, his career was like in the dumps when he came out with this one. And, and yeah. he really, really surprised people with this one. And it was really good to see him get back on track with, with a good sci-fi yeah. movie. I've read the book, and this is one time that I can say, like, the movie is way better than the book. I think the book is fine. It's very enjoyable, but it's more of sci-fi a, not, talk. Or not sci-fi. It's like, a lot of science talk like and jokes. It's a lot of coordinates talk. Like a lot of yeah. the jokes from the book make it to the screen, but reading it, you know, it doesn't work as well as like the delivery. I, I think it's tough to take word for word from a page and deliver it on screen and still make it work because a lot of people going going into it who have read it before have their image of how it was said or how it was delivered. And I think it takes a lot of more, more work than people give things credit for to take dialect or dialogue right from the book and put it on screen. And, and Matt Damon really captures um, what's the name? Mark Walton or whatever really well. So Mark Watney. I, 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 Watney that's what it is. Yeah. And uh childish Gambino shout out yeah. to. Uh, he solves uh, it. <laughs> yeah. He, it's a great little, he's like, Every character in the movie, again, is just, like, really entertaining from Jeff Daniels to even, like, Kristen Wiig is, like, the assistant. I think everyone in this one did their part well. Yeah, that was – The Martian was the one thing that made me thought Kristen Wiig could work in Wonder Woman 84 when she was cast as Cheetah. Because it's, like, I hated her on SNL, and I don't like her in most comedies, but I actually thought mm-hmm. she was, like, pretty okay in this. So when she was cast as Cheetah, I'm like, well, I liked her in The Martian. And then She's great as Brabra in uh, Flight of the Concords, but you guys haven't seen that. that, that so. was, yeah, and she was, like, the one part of Wonder Woman 84 that I didn't dislike either. So She's very jellical in that movie, you know? Extremely <laughs> jellical. <laughs> Spoiler alert for Tristan's number one. Yeah, number number one overall. Some jellica cheetah, jellical cheetahs. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we have a we, we have say, a right? comment from we have another live oh. comment from Paul two twenty. He's endorsing cats. Paul two twenty I don't usually rank them. Prefer action, adventure, and sci-fi. So Star Wars, Star Trek, hate chick flicks. Mm. Also, he sure, put another he added another comment in there too. All right, we have it here. Paul hates women. <laughs> also, I'm <laughs> CEO. Band. Paul seems very basic. Yeah. Paul, who are you? Yeah. Paul, you're a basic bitch. Wow. <laughs> Why are we picking on our own? I, I, I know. I feel like every week we're teaming to Paul. Paul, we're very thankful for you. I love all of those, too. I just love a lot of other people. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I have a lot of... Uh, I mean, I don't have a ton, but I have some MCU movies in my in my top hundred list. So, Paul, follow me on Twitter at jduke two three nine three. Check out my top uh, hundred list. Then maybe we'll know who you are. Um, all right. So my number fourteen. Uh, getting back to that is. Let me pull my list back up. Even though I'm pretty sure I know what it is. All right. Uh, I think it is 
My favorite, let me make sure. Yep. I'm going to back that up with the rest of the movies ranked. My favorite coming of age movie of all time. The movie that I have a signed copy of the DVD from John Bernthal, me and Earl and the dying girl. That is my 14 that make anybody's list. And have you all seen it? I've seen it. I own it. It's a good movie. Just not top 20 for me. Yeah. Same here. I, I really, really good movie. Just not top 20. I've, I've not seen it, so it's not on my list. I've been meaning to see it for so long, it's never really made it. I, I highly recommend it because a couple reasons. One, it's it's really funny, and two, it will it'll get to you. You know, it's one that um, I mean, it's called Me and Her Own the Dying Girl, so you know there's going to be some sad things in it. Olivia Cook is fantastic in it. I always loved her on Bates Motel, so I was excited to see her in this movie. It's really the only reason I knew this movie was coming out because yeah. I kind of just followed what she was doing. Typecast um, the dying girl twice, but <laughs> right. Yeah. So Joe yeah, has his. I have mine. Um, uh, I like Johnny. To Johnny, uh, respect the research, and that's John Bernthal. He plays. It's a very small role as a teacher, but his thing to his class, he always says, is respect the research. So I met him at Comic Con a few years ago. And I brought him my DVD of this movie and asked him to sign it. And he was like, no one has ever asked me to sign one of these before. <laughs> he was like, he was such a cool guy. Um, and I think too, that's a reason like I love this movie even more because I met him and he was so like, kind of like, it felt like me like nerding out over something. He was excited that someone like brought him like a smaller known work because everyone there was having him sign Punisher stuff and Walking Dead stuff. And, um, you know, I brought him this and, he was so cool. He was just like, it was like $60 for a, a picture and a signature for anything of his. And, you know, I had him sign this and then he was like, Oh, let me sign a few things for you. So he like signed a couple posters for me and my friend that was there with us, like, and got a picture with us without extra charge, which normally would have been like $50, like really just down to earth guy. And that made me, you know, respect his role in this even more. So I don't know. I just, everything about this movie works. The two main characters in this movie make, like parody films of um, famous movies. And I crack up every single title. If you're a film fan like us, you'll laugh at every single title, every single little um, little claymation thing they do that are like representations of like old Werner Herzog movies. Like everything they do in that I think works. I think Nick Offerman is always great. And he plays the, the dad who eats all the weird food really well. Um, just, I don't know, everything in this movie just worked for me. And, and I think it's a, it's a really good coming of age tale that's a lot different than anything else um, I've seen in that same genre. So that's why it's so high for me. I'll discuss your place in my out. heart. Yeah, I think Tristan, I, I think that would be right up your alley. I think you'd really enjoy that one. Um, Bobby and Joe, you've both seen it. What are your like quick thoughts on it while I look up where it's streaming? Uh, I, I mean, it's one it. of those. Go ahead, Joe. There you go. All right, I've seen it once and it was like a while ago. I liked it. You know, I, I don't remember a lot from it. That's why I didn't put it on my list. I just remember that I liked it a lot. I like John Bernthal plays Lee Iacocca in the Godfather of Dad movies, Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, John Bernthal is the best at just being a small role in every like movie and just always doing great. Whether yeah, it's show up like, oh, there he is in Wolf of Wall yeah. Street. Yeah, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, Baby Driver, like. He's in yeah, so every, many like, every time he's in something, you know it's gonna be good. Sicario. Like yeah. he's always in things too. You're like, oh I forgot he's in this. Yeah. And uh he's just always good. So um 
it's available on Microsoft apparently as a streaming service. It's uh, $2.99 in there, but it's $3.99 on, app, on uh, Apple TV and Amazon. So I recommend it. Um, or just buy the DVD copy. So if you ever run a John Bernthal, I'll have him sign it for you. He'll be very. Uh, There's only one it. other person who's ever asked me to sign that DVD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was also in Michigan. No. Right. <laughs> or if, I, if I show up. Yeah, that's my brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'd be like, all right, you guys have a weird obsession. Yeah. <laughs> Your family. Yeah. No. Um, all right. So that is my 14. We are at Tristan's 14. My uh, fourteen. Uh, John Frey asked, "Is this the C- Cisco and Ebert channel?" It might as which well. Which one be. is Cisco and which one's Ebert? I don't want to be Ebert. Maybe we're all a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, very true. Uh, my next one is one that I'm wondering might get pushed a little bit, but I'm not quite sure. It's 2019 Jordan Peele's Us. Is that name? No. It's it's in my top 100. I. That one, I feel like every single time I watch it, it'll move up a couple spots because I love it. Like every second of that movie, I don't really have a negative thing to to say about it. So, but it did not make my top twenty. Yeah. That being said, similar. And Johnny, I think it's moving up a couple spots every time you watch it because the first time you left during the climax because you had to pee so bad. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. <laughs> Because I was like, really, you're leaving now? Like, and the big fight happens at the end. I, yeah, I literally had, I could not wait anymore. I had to pee the entire movie, and I hate leaving during movies. I saw Mission Impossible Fallout, had to pee from the start of the movie, but it was, I felt like on the edge of my seat the whole time that I never left the theater, and it was miserable yet enjoyable um, two hours or however long the movie is. Us is my number 36, which is. Um, respectable, but I can see it being in the 20s after a few more watches because I that's one of the only movies too that I immediately after watching at home watched the director commentary. Yeah, I was on the verge of cutting this one, I wasn't quite sure what to do with it, and I watched it over again last night. And maybe it's recency, recency bias, but I think, like you said, the more I've watched it, the more I've really liked it, and the more the problems I had initially, like the third act doesn't like super hold together very well, like it's kind of a little ambiguous but not ambiguous enough i think at the end is kind of confusing of what you're supposed to know and not know yeah. if, but it's one if you, if you think too much about like exactly what's happening it doesn't quite hold up but you don't care because it's done so well and i think that's the biggest yeah. mistake of it is he if he just decided one direction or another i'm gonna go more ambiguous and not give you any little hints of what's happening or i'm gonna go less ambiguous and give you an, a more more answers i think that would have worked more Personally, my taste, I'd like more ambiguous, but that's just because it's me. But I really liked this. I think it's uh, one problem I had with Get Out was the ending as well. I think when they literally had him sit down in front of a TV and he's explained the plot for a few minutes, like I think Jordan Peele kind of has a weird crutch where he thinks you need to be told more than you actually need to know. So I'm really interested to hear what he does next, what his next movie is going to be. I wonder what lessons he'll learn from these movies. And we use him all the time on the show as a director. For directing like some reboot of some terrible movie but in reality like i don't want him to ever remake something or reboot something or adapt something i want him to keep doing original stuff like this is what's interesting and i want him, i can't wait to see what he does next yeah i love him being a producer on a lot of these things like the new twilight zone and um uh, uh mm-hmm. the uh, candy man so i like that angle of i think he's just going to produce a lot of that but every time he directs um, I think he's interested in just doing more unique original things, which I think is a good, good thing for him. 
I recommend to for both Get Out and Us, the director commentary is really, really good. Gives you some insight onto some of the choices that originally maybe when you see it, you're like, that's a weird choice. And then he kind of discusses them very, very well um, if you listen to him. So both of uh, his movies I'd listened to the director's commentary on and and thought more highly of the movie even than I thought I could afterwards. So I, I have another interesting story about us that I want to mention really quickly. When I was living in Anaheim in California, I – went to the Universal Horror Nights a year or so ago where they do these really ridiculously detailed mazes where you're essentially going through like scenes from various movies. They had one from they had one from like the House of a Thousand Corpses you're going through the literal like hanging corpses pushing them around and they had one from Stranger Things. Hopefully not literal. There was one that was a real person (laughs) that yelled in your face that could have been real. But there you go. And one of the mazes is us, and I think it actually genuinely made me appreciate the movie more because it reminded me of like how well he produced like set pieces within a horror movie. You know, you think of like the burning car sequence. You think of like when Elizabeth Moss's family shows up towards the end in their glass house. You have these big moments that you don't quite think of horror as having set pieces like an action movie, but he almost paces this in the way you'd pace an action movie. Like there's these big set pieces every few minutes that really like pay off the the weight. So I'm really curious if he ever does an action movie, how that will, how that will pan out. I, I pitched him once for a reboot as my director for Hitman because I agree with you that I think Get Out is almost more of an action movie than a horror movie towards the end of it, and I think Jordan Peele has a good and same with Us, it has more of an actiony like you know fight scene at the end, which I missed the first time around. Um, yeah. But I, I think um, Jordan Peele would be a really good director for an action movie. I agree with you on that, and, and I think. Um, Lupita Nyong'o too, if I'm, I mean, I mentioned it, but one of the top five performances of the decades, like Lupita Nyong'o and us yeah. playing both roles is outstanding. I think the score is really good too. When they have that remix of the song that comes in towards the end. Oh, yeah. Got five on it. yeah that's All great. the music in that movie is amazing. And it's now like when I listen to, I got five on it, which I never would have thought before. Yep. I'm like, Holy crap. <laughs> like this, this is a scary song. Like, not the lyrics, but the music in it is like straight from a horror movie, which us kind of realize. And I like that choice of like noticing those type of things and including that in the score was really cool. Yeah. Your, your, uh, Jordan Peele hitman pitch beat my, um, time traveling, uh, Jack Sparrow, um, Shane Black pitch, you know? Yeah. Amazingly. Yeah. Shocking. (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, I think that's really all we need to say. Us, um, is that streaming anywhere that we uh that I we think know? it's on HBO Max. If you have I HBO think so Max. Too. I, yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure it is. So Bobby, I don't know if it's already... Max or just now or whatever the different HBOs are, but if you have Max, it's for sure on there. I don't know about yes, normal it's HBO. On, it's on HBO Max. Get HBO Max, people. It's pretty cool. Don't agree with Christopher Nolan. It's I don't think it's the worst streaming service. That would be Apple TV. Um, not Peacock. CBS All Access is probably or Disney Plus, probably. Also, CBS. Yeah, all those fucking things. <laughs> Disney um, Plus has a nice interface, though. I kind of like the way do. it looks. <laughs> I mean, they have all the Pixar movies. That's really all you need. Um, got all right, 14. so fourteen. Bobby was the big six. So Joe, we're on your thirteen. I will be right back, but I can still hear you. All right, 13, this is the one where I thought, I'm going to say it's probably not going to be on Johnny's list because I feel like this is the one if I got any pushback for any movie on my list, 
it would be this, which is 2014's Kingsman The Secret Service. I love that movie, but it's not in my top 20. It is. I, I really do love it, but... Yeah, there's that yeah. scene particularly that I really remember loving a lot, and then everything else around it is kind of empty for me. So I liked it a oh, lot, the, but uh, I think it was more like a collection of moments, scene. like especially that church scene that everyone they can watch on YouTube is pretty awesome. But I definitely think it's a fun movie, but it didn't stand out for me outside of that one scene at all, really. Yeah, it did stand out for me, and I love that movie. Um, I soured a little bit on the franchise because of the second one, which – yeah, I'm not as big yeah. a fan of the second one, but um, it, to me, my view of the second one will determine how, like the the King's Man, when that comes yes. out, whenever that comes yeah. out, and that then looks when, like, good. the actual third. Like, if, if the King's Man comes out and is great, or it's at least as good as the first Kingsman movie, and then the third Kingsman movie comes out and it's just as good as the first, then I'll be fine with like the second one being not quite as good. But if it's kind of a downward trajectory, then I feel like the whole franchise will be yeah kind of lessened for me i i have very plot problems with the second one too which is you know a big thing but but you know i love the first one so let us know why it made your top 20 yeah i like the first one a lot i feel like it's a really good kind of take on the franchise like you can have the james bond where it's at currently with the more like realistic gritty kind of take and then this is more like the the fun and like the gadgets and i feel like it matches the tone well with kind of the -the over-the-top futuristic sci-fi gadgets and one of the things I really like about the movie is if you were to read this movie, like if you were to read the script for this movie and someone was to tell you Mark Strong and Colin Firth were in it, you would 100% think, oh, Mark Strong is like the cool, badass, you know, spy that's uh, Eggie's mentor. And Colin Firth is like the nerdy tech guy that's basically like the cue for the Kingsman. But it's flipped and Colin Firth is kind of his mentor and Mark Strong is the tech guy and it works really, really well. I really like that part about the subversion of the casting. I think a lot of actors, especially in action movies, get stuck into playing the same exact roles over and over again. So I definitely think with Samuel L. Jackson with Mark Campbell did a really good job not casting who you think is going to be where they're at. Yeah, and also yeah. shout out to the adaptation because I, after I saw the movie, I loved it so much I went back and read the comic and like the graphic novel form. Um, and they changed a ton. Like this is a really good adaptation where you just take the general core idea and just make a movie out of it. And they did a really good job with that. Well, the one thing I read is like they had the script for the movie and it wasn't selling. And so they made a comic that was like somewhat based on the script to like sell the comic. So then they could say, Oh, like this movie is based on a comic so that a studio would buy it. And that's, that's interesting. So Be- I think the script for the movie was written first. Which is interesting because they changed quite a bit then between them. So they had the general idea, like you have what the Kingsmen are, but the characters are very different. Um you have a general like the villain's plot is the same, but like the actual character storylines and all that that flow through are completely different. Yeah. Yeah, like I remember in the comic, it's actually Mark Hamill, where in the movie, it's Mark yes. Hamill playing a scientist. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that was straight from it, yeah. Yeah. I think my only pushback on it is, I think Kingsman's perfectly enjoyable. Like, there's nothing that I can look at and just be like, yeah, I don't like this or I don't like that. I just, I just think overall, it had potential to be more interesting to me, especially as a big James Bond fan. Um, I could see this being higher on someone's list that's not a James Bond fan, maybe. Because I think it it sets itself up in some moments to parody or kind of like, you know, make fun of James Bond in a way. Like, okay, these are the trends and the 
cliches from Bond movies. So we're going to do a good job of this. But then they only do it like a couple times, and then they completely throw that away by the final act by having such an such a bizarre plot for the villain. I, I think that takes me out of it by the end because I think at least going into it, while the action and the blood and the stuff, like the church scene is over the top, everything about that movie is, oh, you know, it looks like, um, you know, when he shows them like all their gadgets and it's just like Apple, like uh, iPhones and stuff. It's like, yeah, the rest of the world caught up with the spy world. I thought that was a good little dig, like maybe at the Bond franchise for coming up with these really goofy gadgets that don't hold up. But then at the end, it's, it turns into a complete sci-fi plot. And I don't think to me that that holds up with the rest of the movie. I, I think it's fine. I think it's enjoyable, but I just think overall if the villain plot was something a little more realistic. I, I think it would have worked better for the film, um, especially knowing that the comic book now was made afterwards. I think you could have done um, more of a, an ending that was a little more down to earth, like the rest of this movie kind yeah. of is. And I know like there's the, you know, the girl going up in space and stuff, but like, that stuff has all been in, you know, movies before and spy movies. And, and I would have liked, I think this one would have been stronger overall. Like you, you talked about the third act just straight out of Compton, maybe not holding up. I think the third act of this movie kind of falls apart. I think the first two acts are really, really good. I think by the third act, I'm just like, yeah, this can end. Like I'm not as entertained now as I was. I don't think it really sets up the stakes. Like it doesn't have like a, I would have liked to see this movie really have like a bond girl, like someone that he's either, protecting or showing that she's good yeah like not the we can do anal now scene like that like all of that i didn't think it just it had aspects that i really liked but it didn't go the direction that i think it could have had more potential doing but but again i think it's very enjoyable from from start to finish i just hate that um what's his name matt matthew vaughn yeah. is wasting his career away making all these movies where he could be doing more interesting things. I think he should have stayed on as a producer and stopped directing these movies, but this is like apparently his avatar, like he's James Cameron and it's the only thing he'll ever do again. So I want to see Matthew Vaughn get back to making good films, but me too. You know, but we'll shout, shout out to Stardust. Yeah. If, I, if no one has seen it, you know, right. That, I, that's a great movie. That's like um, kind of like the modern, it's like it's kind of like Princess Bride a little bit, I would say. Um, but that, yeah, that was a, that's a really good movie by Matthew Vaughn, and I do like the third act of Kingsman. Um, it's just a movie that like just just barely. It's like it's probably in inside my top fifty. I really like that movie. Um, it also I love yeah. that it pointed out that a lot of spies have the initials JB, which no one really realized until. Uh, until yeah, like I, I liked things like <laughs> that. I would have liked more of that, more of the humor that it was going for, kind of parodying spy movies because the only like spy parody movies we've gotten are like Austin Powers, um, which, and like, uh, the other one, spy hard. Uh, spy hard, which are just like over the top parodies. I would like more of a subtle parody, which this had aspects of, but I would have liked it to go more in that direction. Or I know that's not exactly secret. what they yeah. were going for top secret. That's what it yeah. is. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's enjoyable. I, I think, um, I can't, fault you for enjoying it but i don't think it belongs anywhere near anyone's top 20 just because like just the style of movie it's going for i don't think you could argue with me that it does anything better than deadpool does with the same type of humor like either deadpool movie i would take over this like there's a lot of movies that have the same 
type of comedy or over the top violence that I just think did it better in a more complete movie. So I think that's why it kind of gets lost in like looking at entire films of the decade. If you're looking at the films of that year, I could see it being maybe top 10, but I don't, I don't see this one holding up over time as like, you know, a top 20 film from the 2010s, which was a stacked decade going back and looking at like every movie that came out. Yeah. But that's really all I got to say on that one, which was probably a lot. So, um, (laughs) you have nothing to say about any of these movies. (laughs) I have a lot to say about every movie. It's funny because I feel like I have a lot to say because (laughs) every single one of these movies I went through for my top 100. So I very, except for like some I haven't seen, obviously, but all the ones I've seen, I'm like, all right, I have just spent two weeks thinking everything I can about all of these movies. So Yeah, a lot of them are ones I considered, or at least ones that I had always been in the conversation that I knew a lot about. So a lot that I had a lot of thoughts on. <laughs> Nothing where I was like, oh, you know, pass. Yeah, there wasn't one so far, other than ones I haven't seen, like a ghost story. Um, there hasn't been one that's been mentioned that at least in my initial Word document when I was making this, like Kingsman and The Last Jedi, like I had typed out. Like I had 200-something movies typed out. So these are all movies that I've spent time thinking about and debating on and deciding whether it should make the cut or not. So, you know, I, I, I there's nothing that I can really shit on yet. We'll see. Um, that makes me next, and I'm on 13. 13 yeah. for me is, I think it's a very, very good movie. I think it's one that... Um, Maybe people don't praise it enough as they should anymore because it was highly praised when it came out. But then they made a fourth one. Um, Toy Story 3 is my uh, number 13 of the decade because this one is mainly about nostalgia for me. I grew up, the first movie I ever saw in theaters that my parents took me to when I was a kid was Toy Story. I remember seeing Toy Story 2 in theaters. I remember seeing this one in theaters. This was one of the first movies that ever actually got me to tear up at the end because I really, really had an emotional connection towards the characters. Um, is that on anybody else's list? It's not on my list, but it's an awesome one. Very yeah, emotional, yeah. very significant part yeah, of my, really of my yeah. watching of movies. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. I, I basically was like, yeah. it, it was that or Inside Out that was going to be a Pixar movie on my top 20, and mm-hmm. I went with Inside Out as the original. But um, yeah. Toy Story 3, I mean, it's amazing. I love that movie. Yeah, I think the strongest aspect of it is it really understood the audience that it made the movie for, which I don't think it really understood, like Pixar really gets with some of the sequels to their movies. Like Toy Story 4 was one that they're just like, we'll just make another Toy Story movie because of the name brand for kids. Toy Story 3 was, this is the encapsulation of everything that these people grew up with. Like the people that saw the first one are now in college or going off to college. So that's the movie that we're going to make. And it did such a great job with that. Um, you know, that was really the first one that really aged up the characters um, before, obviously, the How to Train Your Dragon movies. But aging up Andy, making him, um, you know, going off to college, having these toys go on one last adventure, I think is such a brilliant choice. I think this movie, um, it was initially in my top 10, you know, when I made this list originally, but since just either rewatching other ones or just feeling a little stronger, just there's other ones that I revisit, but I'll never forget the feeling that I had the first time I saw Toy Story 3. That's something that I'll always remember for the rest of my life. And I can't say that about a lot of other movies. So 
that's that's mainly why it made it just because the initial viewing experience was so incredible and i think overall there's not really one thing you can point out in this movie and be like that doesn't work like the spanish buzz is really funny um it has a lot of heart a lot of emotion and a lot of nostalgia so that's why it's so so high on my my list it had a really good villain too as for, for mm-hmm. lots of yeah, like, lots of completely understood like what he was about and where he was coming from. And I mentioned yep. in my Inside Out take that I think it really respected the emotions of the audience, and I think this movie did too. It never makes you like feel bad or embarrassed for having your emotional investment to these characters. It embraces it and it expresses it so openly. It's not making fun of you for feeling this this emotionally powerful connection. It's really using it to its full advantage, and I think that's. It's such a powerful movie. I always for I always remember crying vividly as they were going down that burning shaft towards the fires of doom and being like, "Wow, they really are going to kill these characters right now." And of yeah. course they weren't, but they sold the emotion so well in the moment that my heart bought that they would, you know. Me too. And I yeah, think that yeah. just brings you up to that feeling. And, yep. Did you guys see? The, I think some... there was like a video. we might. Yeah. There's a video that came out like five years ago or so of like these kids like high school high school college age kids gave their mom a copy of toy story 3 for christmas and before they gave it to her they took it uploaded it onto their computer cut out like the last 15 minutes so it's like them in the furnace going down to the fire oh and it cuts God. to credits and they burned it back <laughs> into a dvd gave it for her and like they watched it night and she was like freaking out and then they showed the clip of them like the next day showing her the actual ending oh my god that's that's amazing <laughs> so that is cruelty yeah that's yeah. rude um i think the only like last thing i have to say about it is um I think some franchises kind of lose what the heart of the series is really about as time goes on and the further away it gets from the original, like Star Wars, we've seen it with um, Lord of the Rings with the Hobbit trilogy. We saw it with But Toy Story, at least with the third one being what, 15 years after the original one really stuck to the heart of the characters, really stuck to the heart of the audience. And, and I think that made for a really strong movie. I think it very easily could have just been like, well, it's been so long since we've made one, we're going to make another kids movie. Um, but you know, it stayed true to the original movies and really kept off what could have been like known as like one of the best trilogies of all time. If you still count it as that, it is, but, um, Toy Story 4 came out, kind of fucked things up. So, yeah, I still count it as a trilogy. Same with Indiana Jones. Like, even though I actually did, I did like Toy Story 4, but it's just no, it's just not in the same quality level as any of the other three. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, all right, so Tristan's what was that? 13. My 13. So yeah. Tristan's 13 was Inside Out. We've talked about that. Another Disney movie. So I mean, Pixar movie. So we have those uh, tied on there for our Pixar's. Um, Bobby, Interesting how that worked out. Right? I know. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby, you're 13. All right, my 13 has been mentioned on this before from one of its uh, performances. Um, and I think that performance really drives the reason like why I love this movie. And that is Nightcrawler 2014. Um, is that in Joe's top 10? That's in my top 10. No, I'm kidding. That's an honorable yeah. mention. From All right. So. No. So is it anyone else's list here? No, That's my mind. 27. So an honorable mention, but didn't okay. quite cut it. So I, I love, so that Dan Gil- Gilroy directed this and I, I really like the take on, on the news and how dark 
um, you know, following these, these, you know, murders and anything that's happening can drive someone to do. Um, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. It's his best performance of his career. Um, he looks chilling in this movie, even lost the weight. He looks like the Joker without being the Joker with the sunken eyes and the, you know, skinny face and everything. Um, you're following a villain and it's hard to do that well. Um, you really, and you feel, you feel for him, but then see kind of the, the craziness that he really has inside of him and, uh, what's driving him to do this and really becomes one of the most evil people you're ever going to see at that point. Um, Riz Ahmed is really good. It's the first time I ever really noticed him or saw him. Uh, and then he went on to be in Rogue One, which he was good in. Um, Bill Paxton is great. Um, Anne Cusack. I mean, it's a, it's just a really good movie. I've watched it. I watched it again, like a few months ago, just to um, refresh that performance. And it's one of the few movies on here that I think the performance really drives why, why it's so enjoyable for me. Um, as well as just a character study. So it's a really great movie. One of the best character pieces I've seen in a long time. Yeah, like what you were saying about him being skinny. Like I remember Jake Gyllenhaal like wanted to lose weight and look skinny because he wanted his character to just always look hungry. Yep, yep. Looked hungry and just like, I mean, his face, his eyes were so scary in that movie. Yeah. yeah, I just remember the scene of him sitting on the car holding the camera. It's just like super creepy. Yep. I really, really liked this movie. I remember just being a thrill ride to watch. I remember trying to get a really good grasp of his character and who he is. There's a very interesting moment where he's on the empty news set and he kind of sits down and like envisions himself like what this would be like if I was on this on this set. And it gives you this very vague sense that he has like higher aspirations that he kind of wishes like if he was more socially normal, I guess, that he might be doing something more acceptably, but not be going down this path, might be doing something more similar to what Jake Gyllenhaal in real life is doing. I wonder if Jake Gyllenhaal sees this as almost like what could have happened to me if I didn't make it in Hollywood. You know, like he seems like the kind of guy who would be going, doing anything he possibly could to break into the industry. And I think he kind of sees himself in this character. I think that's so awesome. I really enjoyed that performance. <laughs> <laughs> this, Great this movie overall. Decade, this didn't make my cut. Yeah, the same. I, I agree. This, this decade was so good for Jake Gyllenhaal because before – 2010, Jake Hall, you could say he was like pandering out. Like he was like, oh, you know, he was maybe a one and done or he would, you know, was bigger music kid. Ugh. Joe sneezed. I burped this going well. Um, so, I mean, you had him do Prisoners. You had him do Nightcrawler, which he should have won Best Actor that year. and didn't even get fucking nominated, which is insane. And then, you know, even like films like Oakjaw, he's taking chances, doing these yeah. unique performances um, that, you know, good for good for Jake Gyllenhaal for he had a fantastic decade. And, and I think that kind of gets overlooked because maybe the second half wasn't as big, um, but it all led up to him, you know, probably making bank on um, the second Spider-Man movie. So good for him on getting this. Yeah, we all but, think of great actors like actors like Daniel Day Lewis, people like that. But I really think Jake Gyllenhaal deserves to be like within that conversation of the greatest actors, especially working today. I think he's such a great enigma. He's up there with Joaquin Phoenix yeah. and those kinds of actors. I really like his career. Yeah, do you, I, I do you know. And, do you know what his first performance was of the 2010s? Bubble Boy. <laughs> that was no. That was earlier. It was Prince, Prince of Persia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that kicked off his 2010s, and then he recovered quickly after that with Source Code, which I really like. That end of watch. So, yeah, I remember not seeing Source Code because I was like, 
I'm not going to see this. Yeah. And then, and then um, he started doing just more interesting roles and showing that he can actually act. And, and he's actually hung on to that where I feel like McConaughey has a similar career as Jalen Hall. Um, And then he fell back into making any movie that anyone throws in, you know, his way, I feel like over the past few years. And Jalen Hall is like, no, I'm going to continue just making great film after great film. So he, that, I yeah, think Nightcrawler uh, is great. I think Matthew McConaughey almost makes like inverse Nightcrawlers, or he's like, oh, I want to do these performance roles, where he has like crazy wigs on and stuff like that. He's becoming very, almost like Johnny Depp, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. where he's doing all these transformative kind of performances and getting away from actually acting. Yeah, like gold. And yeah, stuff gold. Like that I was thinking of. Yeah. He looks like some bizarre, yeah. like. He in looks the, like um, the, in um, in. Uh, uh, Tropic Thunder in that movie. And the big the big scene in Nightcrawler um, at the like fast food restaurant, not to, you know, this is past the statute of limitations, sure, but not to completely spoil how everything goes. If you're not on the edge of your seat the entire time that that is happening, like, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. That scene is so tension-filled. Oh, for sure. That movie does tension so well. Like, um, I, and yeah. honestly, the only reason this one probably didn't make my top 20 is because of the next movie on my list. I just feel like had a little better aspects of um, what Nightcrawler was going for, even though they're way different movies. So I'll reveal that it, in a second. But is it Joker? <laughs> it's not Joker. I know. Um, yeah. I so knew it wasn't was, Joker. Uh, that was Bobby's 13. We're getting it. None of us so far at least have the, uh, revealed our 12 or 11. We're just doing our, um, you know, through our 11. So two more to go for each of us. Joe, what is your number 12? Um, my number 12 is the movie that kind of kicked off my interest in horror films because growing up, most horror films for the most part were kind of shitty. Like they were not a lot of great horror films coming out in like the mid-2000s, early 2010s, and that is 2017's It, which is currently streaming on HBO Max. It's a great movie. Love it. Really, really it was good. such a good horror decade. Yeah, it was right outside my top 20. I had it in there at number, I think it was in there at my number 19 or 20, and then I, I put the gift in there um, instead. But yeah, yeah, I really, really like it. I'm going to find yeah. it. It is. Yeah, I think it's, like, it's funny talking about it because every time you say it, you're yeah. saying the movie's title. Um, I don't know where I have it on mine. I, I, unlike Joe, also enjoyed the second one. Oh, it is my number 26, so one one spot ahead of um, Nightcrawler. Okay. Yeah, it's... I just like the... There's, like, just enough explanation for the villain where you, like, get what it is, but I feel like it's one of those things where if they over-explained it, you'd probably be like, this is kind of dumb. But I think it's a bunch of great performances by all the kids. None of the... You, you don't watch it and be like, oh, these are, like, bad performances by kids. So you, like, have to kind of give them mental excuses because they're kid actors. Like, I feel like all the kids show up and they do a good job. The parents are just, like, the perfect amount of creepy where you can kind of believe it. But it also, you can see the effect that it has on the parents and the adults in the town. I feel like all of the scares work really well where you just kind of, there's just a nat- like a natural just creepy feeling in the entire town. But the jump scares, I think, work really well too. 
I think yeah. this is a definitely a really scary movie that I think is significant because it, like you said, it brought you into watching horror movies differently. And I think this is sort of like the big budget version of like an, they call them elevated horror movies, I guess now where it's like something like the witch or where it's like very, very not just about jump scares, more about tone and character. And I think this almost feels like a big budget version of that where they have the big, effects and the jump scares but they're still very focused on creating characters and creating tone and i really like this movie a lot i think it's similar to you mentioned in kingsman 2 how kingsman 2 kind of brought down the kingsman 1 opinion of it for johnny and i agree with that for this one i think if it chapter 2 wasn't such a disappointment i would have liked the first one a lot more but i think just like you said it explains a little too much but not quite the right way and once you get to answers it's going to it's going to disappoint a lot of people where you're I, – I, I didn't need all those answers in part two, so I think it kind of weakens part one a lot. Yeah, I, I think yeah, with, with, with it um, – Like I get what you're saying totally. But I, I feel like with, for me with, it is just – it's like a complete story. So I don't have to watch it too. I can just watch the original it and be fine. Yeah, and Johnny – like I know Johnny even likes it chapter two better than I do. I did actually like it chapter two. Because um, after reading the book, I really didn't know how they how they were going to portray that well. Because the best way to tell the story of it is how it is done in the book, which is where where the two stories are interspliced between each other. Um, because the adult storyline is really just kind of like a retrospective and them reuniting and like telling how the characters developed over time and then how they beat it like later on. Um, and there's really not much to it. So when you split it up the way it's done in the um, the miniseries and now the movies, you're left with a very bare bones story that's all supposed to be about character and also um, uh, just, oh, how do we kill it, this creature? And like, it's all just that, that's the only part of it. So I think they did as well as they could and as goofy as it is, I think it worked for me enough, but the, but it chapter one for me is just like a perfect mix of coming of age um, and horror, which is like, that's perfect for me. So I love that. Yeah, I think I think again the um, even the second movie is stronger if you if you know the structure of the book and if you've read it, which um, I've listened to the audiobook like three times, even though it's like sixty hours or something ridiculous. But I I really like the book. But the problem that the movies have with splitting it between adults and kids is in the book it starts off as adults and then flashes back to the moments as the kids and then goes back to them being adults and flashes back to moments as the kids. It has the characters like Eddie is a grown man. They all split up. Eddie goes and has his moment of Pennywise showing up and it flashes back to why this moment is relevant and shows this stuff, you know, has an entire chapter of Eddie as a kid and then an entire chapter of Eddie as an adult having that experience. When you, interchange those it's really really good i think you could make a very very amazing cut of um both it one and two split up the way the book has it i would love to see that if someone um ever did that because then the second one doesn't feel so repetitive it's actually broken up into the story of them being kids and the story of them being adults going back and revisiting that um a lot of the stuff in the first one that I thought I, I would have liked to see with the the treat the clubhouse, which is a big part of the original one, they went back and kind of uh, threw that in um, with the like de-aged actors in the uh, in part two. Um, so I like to see that, but 
my thing with it, chapter one, is I think it's even stronger if you've read the book because, like, Ben is afraid of mummies. In the original one, Pennywise shows up as what you're most afraid of, which is, like, universal horror monsters at the point that this book was written. It's not always shown up as Pennywise, but obviously they don't have the rights to those characters. So when at the end, even like it has a lot more things that you notice if you've read the book, like when um, they're all trying to defeat Pennywise's kids and they're hitting him with the pipe. Every time he turns to the kid, he turns into the werewolf. He turns into the mummy for Ben, like, and never in the movie does it reference that, but it always references it like, but it's like a throwback to the book or a uh, Easter egg from the book. Like if you know why he turned into a mummy, you know why, if you know why he scratched, uh, what's his name? Um, Bill Hader played him as the adult, but it, he scratches him with the werewolf hand. It's because he's Freddy afraid of werewolves. Eddie. Um, at, no, Maybe Eddie it's pretty telling about but... the quality of the movies. Huh? Maybe it's pretty telling that we can't yeah. remember his name at all. <laughs> Well, it's fun. I just always think of him as Mike, like, um, because it's... I can barely uh, remember Wolf. my own name. Yeah, right. It's tough to remember, because, especially because Finn Wolfhard plays a similar character in... Uh, he's actually a pretty different character in Stranger Things, yeah, but I was thinking of him him. But that's why. So, I don't Richie. know. It, I think, is a very good movie. Richie. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, that's, that's really all that we need to say about it. That was an in-depth conversation, but yeah, I recommend the, uh, yeah. the audiobook of it is really, really good. I think that's easy, an easier sit than reading the book start to finish for sure. I made an attempt to read it start to finish and I've never gotten all the way through it. So maybe I'll switch up to the audiobook and see if it's any better. Yeah. The book is really well done. Yeah, I do like yeah. it. A, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and the ending of the original book is terrible. It's so bad. So I, I respect what they did with it. Chapter two, because no matter what they did, it would have been criticized because you couldn't possibly make the story that they told and had a more interesting ending. So yeah, I don't know what I, I liked King, what they did. I don't know what Stephen King was on when he wrote the whole Beverly part. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, no, that the first, when when they're kids, yeah, there there's some <laughs> stuff in that book that just don't hold up at all. But both uh, both movies do a good job of keeping the good aspects from the original and changing up the things that it needed to, or just forgetting them completely. So I, I think it does a good job, but the book expands on a lot of the characters that are super creepy that the movie doesn't really get into. Even like the bully is a far and away, like way scarier if you know his backstory in the book, you know? So, um, Henry Bowers, Henry Bowers. Yeah. So, um, all right, that brings us to Tristan. What is your number 12? My Wait, number 12? Did, did Johnny do his 12? I always skip me because I have another list in front of me and I don't have my own name on it. All right, so as I was saying with Nightcrawler, a very good central performance. Um, this one maybe has a little weaker plot, but I feel like it has a stronger performance. I think it captivated me a little better from start to finish. And it was a similar style as Nightcrawler, not to shit on Nightcrawler at all. It's very high on my list, but I think this one just did it better. So after I saw it, um, Nightcrawler fell a little bit. And that movie is the uh, first movie from the Softy brothers, good time starring Robert Pattinson, which is incredible. Is that on anybody else's list? It's an awesome moment. It's not on my list. Yeah. Not on my list either. Yeah, not on my list either. 
This is another one that every time I watch it, it gets higher and higher on my list. I, I could see this being in my top 10, and I could see Uncut Gems being in my top 20 the more I watch that because I think both of these movies are incredible. My favorite thing as a, as a film goer is the central performance. If a movie has a great central performance, I can forget or forgive a lot of the other things in the, in the movie. I don't have to forget or forgive anything else in this movie because I really enjoy the, like the thrill ride that makes your heart race the entire time. It takes place in one night. I really like things like that, that it's like, okay, how is this going to end good for this guy? He just keeps making the wrong decision. But this movie made Robert Pattinson like one of my favorite working actors. I think he is phenomenal in this movie. Um, the Softy brothers are probably like behind Alex Garland, probably my favorite like directors that I'm going to go first thing to see their next movie. Um, even more so than like people I think are stronger directors overall. They're just both right up my alley. And Softy Brothers basically were like, hey, we're going to take everything that Johnny loves about movies and make movies about those things. So like central performances, high tension, somewhat slow burns. Um, and and I just really, really like uh, the, the style that Good Time is in. So that's really all that needs to be said. I, I highly recommend uh, Good Time. It'll make you take Robert Pattinson seriously if you were questioning his choice of uh, being Batman. Yeah. Yeah, I watched, to say. Sorry. Go for it. Yeah, I, I watched this time. movie a couple months ago or a month or so like when me and Johnny did our list during like early in during coronavirus. And I really liked it. Uh it's I think I like Uncut Gems better from the Safety Brothers, but it's still a really good movie. You know, really good like kind of I don't want to say low budget, but you know, smaller budget, mid budget movie about just this like really kind of dumb guy that makes dumb decisions over and over and over again. Yeah. and if, The uh, guy who thinks he's really movie. smart and just keeps making the wrong decisions. Like I just have never seen another movie like this in Uncut Gems because how often are you following a character that just, he keeps you sucked in with his performance, but he's so unlikable as a person. Like I, there's not many movies like that. And, and I think it's kind of a tie into like, there Will Be Blood is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that is very much like Daniel Plainview is clearly a very evil character, but you're sucked in because of the performance, and Good Time reminds me of that, but on a much, much lesser scale. But it's just like, man, you just keep seeing this guy just do these terrible things, and you're still like sucked into what are you going to do next? How are you going to redeem your actions? Like You're still kind of rooting for him, even though it's a very unlikable character. So, yeah, that's really all that needs to be said on that one. Good time. My uh, number 12 movie of the decade. That is from 2017, and it is streaming on Netflix currently. All right, so all right. Tristan, that brings us to Tristan's number 12. My number 12 is a movie that uh, I saw in school. I highly, I'm not sure if people will have it on their list or not. It made a lot of lists that I was looking up. Uh, it's A Separation from 2011. Never heard. Okay, I've um okay, so this is one that I've always debated on watching and I just haven't, even though I feel like I'd really like it. It's uh it's uh like a Middle Eastern film about a basically a divorcing couple I know. But that's really all I know about it. Yeah, it's from director uh Iskar Fahardi. And basically my quick pitch for it is that it's basically 
what if marriage story was set in Iran. <laughs> it's called a separation from 2011. And it's basically about uh, a couple who's decided to go through a divorce, but they're living in Iran. So it's a very specific and direct uh, approach to it. It's not like it is in the United States. You can just go into a court and pretty much get it done essentially quickly. It's a very long, complex emotional process. So if you liked marriage story, I would definitely recommend checking out a separation. It's got subtitles, which is a little bit hard to get through, but I think it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I like to have some representation from other countries. I put a lot of, you know, American movies on here. That's what I see most of. So it's hard to get out of that comfort zone sometimes, but a separation is definitely one I think can help you get out of that comfort zone, especially when you get to see sort of the interpersonal relationships of people in a country that we typically villainize in our movies. You know, Middle Eastern countries are always the, the terrorists in movies. It's always the bad guy that you're fighting against. And I think this, for once, kind of humanizes those people who live in this country and show they're real people with real problems similar to our problems here. And I think it's, it's a movie worth watching that uh, can suck you into some foreign cinema, maybe. Yeah, this is one that just because I've, I've known the plot, like basis of this one for a long time i've known the synopsis at one best uh um it i don't know who just like oh um so this one uh one best foreign film the year it came out at mm-hmm. the oscars and ever since then it's been on my radar i just have never watched it because at the time it came out i wasn't really into dialogue heavy foreign films i liked more of like the action films or things you didn't really have to pay much, much attention to the plot. Now I'm more into that. And I really want to watch this. So anytime anyone recommends marriage story to me, I'm like, I will watch that, but I want to see a separation first. And I just haven't got around to watch a separation. So I haven't seen marriage story because they just plot wise seem similar, but I wanted to see this one first. Yeah, it's definitely very similar. I think you can tell that marriage story was in a way inspired by this movie. I'm sure that Noah Baumbach has seen this and you can see some of the beats are very similar, but I highly recommend it. Uh, check it out for sure. If you if you don't like dialogue heavy foreign films, there's definitely a lot of talking, but I think it's easy to follow. It's not all that complicated. I I really recommend watching it for anyone who wants to get into, especially if you liked Marriage Story. But if you want to get into get into something slightly out of your comfort zone, I think this is the one to go for. Yeah, I'll have to give it a shot because I did I did like Marriage Story, especially the performances. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, if if you if you think this is a better version of that, I'll definitely give it a shot. Yeah, this one is one that every movie. time I did my every time I did my research for top one hundred movies, I read like probably twenty different lists. This was in almost every person's top twenty. Like this is one that was widely known as like one of the best movies of the decade. Unfortunately, okay. it's not streaming anywhere, so you might have to pay the two ninety nine or something to get it on Amazon. But check it out. Yeah, it seems worth it. Joe, you got anything? Did Joe freeze? Uh, I think he's frozen. Yeah, I was just going to say my main thing with Mar- Am I frozen now? Can you I think hear you're me? You're good now. No, no you're yeah. good now. Oh, yeah, my main thing was marriage. Yeah, my main thing with marriage story. Was it just felt like a lot of like upper middle class fucking white people complaining about like their problems? And I understand like yeah, divorce sucks and all that. that, but I was just like, yeah, I think you'd you'd like this a lot more. I felt similarly about Marriage Story, where I was like, I relate to this in a way, but it doesn't feel 
is high stakes as I think they want it. I mean, they want it to feel, I guess. And this feels yeah. a little bit more high stakes. Lawyer, you can tell there's some real consequences to this. Yeah, Laura Durbin is my favorite part of Marriage Story. Really quick on Marriage Story, just because I think the story of Marriage Story story is different than, like, I think the perspective of what it's trying to get at might be different than what people think. Like, it's more like what happens to a relationship, especially a divorce, when lawyers get involved, because it got real messy from that point on, essentially. Uh, And Laura Dern, Dern actually, as one of the lawyers, is, like, the best part of that movie. But, um, but yeah, it's... It has the like. It looks like it could just be middle or like upper middle class problems kind of deal, but I think it's kind of showing a different perspective when you actually watch it. And and this one just from the synopsis seems like what like divorce is so is like part of the culture of America, but that's not something that's common in a lot of other cultures. A lot of other cultures, no matter if you hate the other person you're married, you once you're married, you're stuck with them for life. Like. You know, that you've seen some movies like that if you watch a lot of foreign films of people grow old, they're not in love, but they stay married because you don't get divorced. Like, Iran culture is, is similar to that. So I think a movie set in that, just with that aspect around it, just seems a little more interesting to me. So I've always wanted to see it, but I just have never gotten around to it. But I definitely will because this was one I was... This, again, if this was free on a streaming service, it probably would have made my top 100 if I enjoyed it, but I just never watched it because I had to rent it. And I chose to watch free movies instead because I'm cheap. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Even though I just bought a Switch. <laughs> um, all right. So, Bobby, what is your number 12? Um, so, really quick, Nightcrawler is, is streaming on Netflix. I forgot to say that earlier. But um, my number 12 is a complete different uh, tone than Tristan's movie. Um, it's my highest ranking superhero movie and animated movie, and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Is that on anyone Bobby, else's That is my, my Ooh, that's my number 11. Bobby, well, way to fucking fast track things. Yeah. I, I, apparently all of mine get skipped, so... I like Bobby's you talked about me. three of his own movies. So that means that my top 10... I have some thoughts on Spider-Man. I wait, save them until we do the next episode because it's in your guys' top tens, but I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> okay, well, tell tell John Fricky what uh, decade he's in. Um, so <laughs> that takes care of my number 11. Um, thanks, Bobby and Joe. Um, and we skipped that one, which is good because we're at two and a half hours. So, Joe, last movie that we're... Uh, doing for you today, at least. What is your number 11? Uh, my number 11 is my favorite movie from last year, and that is Booksmart, uh, which is currently streaming on Hulu. Oh. Not on my list. Barely missed the cut of my top 100. It's not on my list. I like it, but I just don't think it quite reaches the highs it tries to reach. Yeah. It's yeah I mean, not we've talked my... about it a lot on this. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not my top twenty, but it is a really good movie. Um, it would probably be on like the bottom half of my top one hundred, I'd say. Anytime that we have to cast anyone in like high school or teenagers, we yeah. cast someone for Booksmart because the cast is yeah. amazing in this movie. Yeah, I feel like we've talked a lot about Booksmart just because of that. Like, it's a really good directorial debut from Olivia Wilde. I'm definitely excited to see what she does moving forward. Uh, the cast. 
I mean, I feel like this is one of those movies that in 20 years we're going to look back and like five of the cast members have Oscars. And it's just. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, I'd probably be surprised if five of them do, but I wouldn't be surprised if a yeah. few of them do. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, we've yeah. talked about this movie all the time. So really great movie. Uh, the, the thing I feel on this one, like quick thoughts is like ever since Superbad came out, every teen comedy is like, oh, it's like the super bad, but blank. Like this was like, oh, it's the super bad, but women. This one, like going into it, if it's pitches that comes off way different. And I think um, that's a credit to the directing um, and the characters. I think the... Yeah. Everyone says nowadays you can't make a movie like um, What's His Nuts Who Made Joker is like, oh, you can't make a comedy nowadays because everything just offends everyone. Yeah, you know, Todd cool. Phillips. And, and those those comments were completely like stupid and ignorant because movies like Booksmart and Good Boys came out and you have a lot of raunchy humor, but very respectful characters that can also be somewhat like PC, I guess you would say. Booksmart, um, I just felt... I, uh, opposite of Joe, like I watched Booksmart and Good Boys and I liked Good Boys better. Joe, I think watched both and liked Booksmart better, but I think both of those movies are very comparable and they're both excellent. They're two of the best comedies that have made the entire decade. Um, and I, I just thought watching Good Boys, I thought it just had funnier moments, even though I think the characters were maybe a little stronger, um, in, in Booksmart, but I liked the comedy better in Good Boys. So uh, that made my list, but Booksmart barely missed the cut for my top 100. Yeah, I don't quite go for, like, comedies very much. <laughs> my list is mostly, like, movies make me feel bad and then rank them of how bad I feel while watching them. And <laughs> I mean, You have Prisoners. Prisoners, um, Us, A Ghost Story, all funny movies. Um, Her has some comedy, so that's something. The Last Jedi, you know, a lot of, a lot of good humor in that movie. Phone calls, voicemails, you know. Um, so, all right, that, that's really all that needs to be said. Tristan, you're my number 11, obviously is Spider-Verse. So this time we can skip myself. Uh, Tristan, what's your number 11? My number 11 is one that I positive all of us have seen. It's 2018 Alex Garland's Annihilation. Nice. Yeah, I haven't seen really, really good movie, but just outside, it's outside my top 20, but I love it. Awesome movie. I think we saw a lot of really kind of subversive second films this decade, like stuff like us, stuff like the lighthouse where people came out and they were not quite as uniquely thrilled with the movies they were with his first movie. And I think this is similar where people loved ex machina and then came out of annihilation kind of split. And I came down on the positive side. I think I liked how ambitious it was. I liked that it weaved in realistic science and fiction like he did for ex machina. It goes bigger visually and in scope, but I think he still grounds it in something that's real and something that you can kind of feel. And I think the style it's real, but the style is incredible. Like some of the shots they have of the shimmer, some of the shots they have of the lighthouse and that crazy sort of like surrealist moment at the end where she has an alien encounter. I think this is such a great step up for him from Ex Machina. I think it's very, very ambitious. It, pushes to the next level without like losing touch with what made his original drive interesting. I think a lot of these directors, when they get to their second film, they try to be a little too subversive. Like I think of the Babadook, she followed up with the Nightingale, which was not 
in the similar vein at all. And I'm, I'm sure it's probably good if you're going for that, but as a trajectory of a career, I think this is very interesting for Alex Garland and I'm really can't wait to see what he does after this. It's such an ambitious, creative second movie. And he made a man bear pig scary. <laughs> yeah, he had scary scenes. He had some, and of course there's not a lot of character as much as there is in Ex Machina. I think this is much more focused on like the themes and ideas, but I, I tend to relate to that more so than like performances and center characters. So I, this is perfect sci-fi for me. This is everything I look for when I want to watch a sci-fi movie. Yeah, it's, it's funny because this is my number 21, and I was debating for our list making this my number 20 because I really wanted to at least like bring it up. So, But I stuck with the raid because that's what I have on my list. So I'm very happy you have it so high. Um, I was blown away start to finish from this movie. Bobby and I... Um, saw this in theaters together and had probably a 30 minute discussion in the parking lot, just about the ending and what the movie kind of meant and what we thought about it. And everyone I've talked to about this movie has kind of different views, different aspects of what it means. Um, And I think that makes for the best movie because like Joe and I were talking about this earlier, we were texting about it. Like I think some of the worst movies are ones that, you have absolutely no idea what happened and you have to go online to read smarter people talking about it. But I think some of the, like the best movies are ones like Annihilation where you have your own theory of what happened or what it means. And then you can read 50 other different opinions, 50 other different takes and nothing is wrong or right, but it makes the conversation more exciting. It really keeps it, you know, in your head. It really makes it stick with you. The Bobby called it the man bear pig scene, but that is one of the best horror scenes I've ever seen in my life. Like this movie is not straight up a horror movie, but that scene is one of the most terrifying scenes ever. Um, It's really good. And again, like I mentioned with the Martian, this book sucks. This is a trilogy of books. This is based off of, and I respected this movie even better once I read the first of the trilogy, because um, that's what this takes some from, but literally the, basically the only thing that this movie takes from the book is, which is bullshit that it has to say it's based on a book when the only aspect is the shimmer. Every character is different. You don't know the character's name in the book. Everyone's very monotone. Um, You don't have any of the character moments. You don't have the husband aspect of it. None of that is in the book. Everything about this movie is original, except it took the idea of the shimmer. So I respect the shit out of this movie for that, because when it says based on a book or whatever, some people are like, well, they just took things that already existed. No, this movie is completely original. It's basically someone who read a book and is like, I could do that better. I like one aspect of your book and I'm going to do it really cool. So I I think um, Alex Garland is between Ex Machina and this and Devs is like, again, I'm going to line up for anything that that dude has to do from now on. And for a little little context on also us standing in the parking lot for a half hour, it was February in Michigan. It was freezing. (laughs) Yeah, it was was, uh, very cold out. We were shivering, and we talked for half an hour. about. No, we were not shimmering, definitely not. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I love this movie. It's, I think, I have a few minor nitpicks that might push it below my 20, but that's just nitpicks because I like all these other movies. Like I I love, yeah, it's a really, really good movie. This holds the rare spot of being a movie that I saw twice in the same day. 
I went and saw it in the morning in the theater, like the first screening. I usually do that. And it was so good that I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I went home and called my dad and I was like, you know, this movie Annihilation came out. You should definitely check it out and see it. And he was like, well, I'm not doing anything today. I'm probably going to go see it now. So I went and saw it again and I watched it twice in the same day. In the second viewing, I got so much out of it that I didn't get the first time. And I love this movie. It's a great one. Nice. Oh, yeah. It definitely is big time rewatchability because you just catch more and learn more and maybe change your opinion on things more the, the more you watch it. So, yeah. And again, Natalie Portman, I, I know she's great in Black Swan, but I think this is her best performance. I think she is incredible as the character she's portraying in Annihilation. So, you know, a movie with a great central performance really sticks with you and keeps you interested. So if they kept like the thing from the book and had a very monotone character like Brad Pitt and Ad Astra, which is basically like what the book does, um, this movie would have been okay at best. And I think her performance and the characters that they created um, really, really helped this one too. Every actor in this movie is great. Every actress. So, all right. That brings us to um, our last one we're discussing today, possibly unless it made Joe's top 10, Bobby, what's your 11? I think this is actually, even though it's a well-regarded movie, but knowing uh, the group here, I think it's going to be a little controversial of it being up this high. Um, I love this movie. I've loved it ever since it's come, it came out. Uh, I love the concept, the direction, the style. Um, and that is Inception from 2010. Um, I've rewatched this movie a lot, a lot of the times, uh, including about two weeks ago, I think. Uh, is it on anyone else's list? I kind of doubt it. It's not on mine, no. no. it's not on my list. No, thanks. Yeah. So uh, I love Christopher Nolan. He is probably my favorite working director, even though I did watch Tenet recently. And um, it's Tenet is interesting because I the conversation around Tenet and, like, thinking about it afterwards is more entertaining than the movie. Um, Inception does what Tenet tries to do really well. It's got the ambiguous ending. Uh, even though I, I have my like definitive definitive answer as to what happens, um, you can argue either side. Um, it Nolan, I think, has some of his best emotional type things because he's not great at that in a lot of his movies. But between um, Leo um, and Marianne Cotillard, his wife in that movie, um, I think that's really well done. Between and him getting trying to get back to his kids, um, and I I really just. I'm entertained throughout that entire movie. I can't, it's what it's, it's on my list mostly for its rewatchability for me, I think, because um, you can pick apart little things of plot and whatever, but I can endlessly rewatch it because every um, like every uh, like act of the movie has something different and, and kind of crazy. And um, yeah, it, it's really just one of the, everyone knows what inception is. It's not like a movie that I have to explain to a lot of people, but it's just one that to me uh, is I, I'm just going to keep rewatching this movie over and over and it doesn't get old. Um, so that's why it makes it up so high for me. For me, I think it's the opposite. When I first watched this movie, I was blown away. It was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. The, the Scotch capers betting on top of each other. And especially when he, Everything kind of coordinates in that last act, and everything hits at the exact same time. It's it's still a very effective. It's like mind blowing that he could line up all of those sequences just to line at the right time like that. Just the craft of being able to do that is very impressive. And I agree with you too that I think this is one of Nolan's better emotional works. He doesn't typically do emotion very well. I think one of his better movies is Dunkirk, and that's 
best because there's like practically no need to connect emotionally at all. You're just connecting to the technical splendor and like the craziness of what you're seeing. Uh, every time I rewatch this though, it gets a little bit worse because I just start to notice how it much is bogged down all the time with exposition. We talked before about Jordan Peele having to explain stuff a little bit too much. And I think Nolan explains like everything way, way too much. Like you didn't need to have so many scenes explaining how the dream science works. You just got to show me it happened instead of telling me that it happens. Like you can do one or two scenes visually and show me how the dream science works and you can cut like 45 minutes of this movie out. It feels very very bogged down and just like very overly expository and every, every piece of dialogue that isn't out of Cobb's mouth. Right. And I hear that. I like I, I completely it's one of those um, criticisms that I completely understand. Like when you when I'm watching the movie and you tell me I'm like, yeah, it is a lot of exposition, but it still entertains me enough. And the like I'm I'm so interested in what they're actually talking about um, that it doesn't hinder the movie for me. Like I do want to know everything about how this dream world works and, and and all that. And if you don't have that in the first time, like you, looking back on it, um, if you, if you don't love those scenes, you may not like that may bog it down, but if you don't have it the first time, I don't think you quite get as much out of the movie, the third act with how, cause you, you completely understand how everything works by the time it hits that third act and how everything's going that you don't have to stop. Um, so I think he does that well enough. Um, and I actually do like exposition scenes done well, I think can be entertaining to me. Um, like in like a weird like math way almost. Uh, so like it works enough for me and those don't bother me looking back, but it's, but I understand the criticism completely. Yeah. yeah I, I think with this one, like inception, when I saw it, I wasn't blown away by it. I thought it was fine. And I've just gotten to dislike it more and more. The longer it's been since, especially with more creative sci-fi movies that have come out since then, like, like Annihilation and like uh, Get Out, and even the uh, the Endless, which we talked about. I, I think the best parts of a science fiction movie are not completely understanding all the rules, and I think it makes it a weaker film when you have everything told to you, like spoon fed through you throughout the movie. Um, that that hurts my entertainment and from it, and and I think that's a, my big criticism with Inception is every single one of jo- uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's dialogue in that movie is he's literally just in there to be exposition. And it's just like, I don't need to know all this. You can explain everything that you're explaining to me without telling me every detail of it. Like, I just think even including the dark Knight rises and following, um, this is Christopher Nolan's worst movie. I still think it's entertaining. You know, I could sit down and watch this movie. I'm not going to sit there and criticize it the whole time, but I think it's his worst, uh, film overall not but i haven't seen tenet so hopefully that's better but i think when a plot can be a little confusing but explained just enough this one over explains and over explains and over explains where if i watched this movie once the second time i watched it i would understand the rules and you didn't need to tell me everything that happened i, I think this one was a little hindered by the budget because i think it was like we need to make this for everybody and we don't want to confuse people. And this one still confused people. That's why I do respect like Tristan's love for the endless. That one has sci-fi rules that not everyone understands in the movie. And I think that makes it more interesting. I, I think with this one, just, you know, it just, 
from start to finish, like, first of all, no one dreams like that. I, I think that's the, like the biggest thing that I can say about it. Like I, this one too, like I thought it was fine when it came out, I was entertained. And then there was a South park episode making fun of it. And that kind of just every time I watch this movie, like I don't watch South park anymore, but the South park episode took this apart pretty, pretty well. And it was all valid criticism. So um, I understand people liking this one, but to me, it does feel like kind of a dumb person sci-fi movie. Like we need to dumb it down for the audience. And I don't like when movies do that because I'd rather not understand the movie than be than over understand every single second, every single rule, every single little thing. Like I want movies like Annihilation where that has an ambiguous ending and you don't know exactly what happens. Inception, it has an ambiguous ending in quotes just because you don't know if it stops or starts, but nothing else about that movie. You can say, you know, I have my opinion on why this is happening or why this is happening because everything is just told black and white. This is why this happens. So I like a sci-fi movie more like even just, he did it better with interstellar of you don't really know the rules. You have some lines of exposition, but you don't have um, everything spoon fed to you. You have to kind of figure I, I it out. Feel- you have to kind of understand relativity. I feel Tenet took a weird, like, opposite approach to where it doesn't explain anything. <laughs> like, you're so confused when you're watching it. You're like, I think I'm supposed to understand what's happening, but you, the second half of the movie is very hard to follow. I think he learned yeah. a lesson from Inception, but maybe, like, overcorrected a bit some. Yeah, I, I think he hit the sweet... I think, I think I, not seeing Tenet, but just hearing that, and I've heard that criticism, I think he hit the sweet spot with Interstellar, because I think... That movie has as much exposition as you need. All the exposition works. It has the famous scene that's in every space movie that takes place about different dimensions where you poke the hole through the piece of paper. Um, but it we'll doesn't talking about Interstellar to... next episode, too, I think. Perfect. There you go. Yeah, and, so... and it's not this decade, but I feel like he did a pretty good job with the prestige as well with the sci-fi yeah, aspect sure. of just telling you enough of what you need to know. And I feel like if he delved too deep into it, you'd be like, no, I'm out. Yeah, like Inception yeah. for me, it's below the like it's below the Dark Knight, it's below the Prestige for me, like type of movies. But I, I really love Inception, and it's one of those things where I don't find it confusing. I don't find it overly, honestly, sci-fi, but I find it endlessly entertaining for me. Um, that I've watched it a bunch of times, and it's just one of those movies that I can put on whenever and watch whatever scene that's on. So that's kind of why it made it so high in my list. Um, but I definitely understand, like, yeah, it's not the most, you know, crazy sci-fi thing like Annihilation and, and a lot of other movies, but just one of the entertaining ones for me. Well, yeah, thank you for saving one of our longest discussions to, to our last to our last <laughs> one where we were making okay time. Um, definitely no way we were going to do all 20 today. Um, it's almost 10 o'clock. It's been almost – this is probably our longest episode so far. So hopefully our top 10 is a little shorter, but I doubt it because this one, at least we skipped a few and our top 10 sounds like might be pretty, pretty different for, for everybody. So we might have some matches. You, know, you never know. Yeah. I think we'll have quite a few. I think there's three there's that are in the top 10. Yeah. yeah. All right. But, but yeah, so anyway, I think we can wrap up today's episode since we're at two hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, so check us out next week. Uh, you know, we're going to do part two. We're all going to go from 10 to 1. Uh, 
Johnny, any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts. This was this was a fun discussion. I didn't know how long uh, this would be, but it ended up being pretty long because we all wanted to, you know, I, I feel like especially because I've been doing this list for weeks that I have had a lot to say about all the ones that I've seen. I thought about, you know, movies like Inception, even though I didn't think they'd make my list. I was like, maybe I rewatch it, but I haven't. So I'm excited to see our top 10. I'm excited to talk about some movies that um, we mentioned already and some that uh, have not been mentioned yet. All right. And uh, Tristan, final thoughts? Yeah, it was a really fun one. I figured we'd go long. I didn't know if it'd be this long, but it was very fun. A lot of movies I hadn't seen that I put on my list to watch. A lot of chances to give you guys some movies you haven't seen, and hopefully somebody will check that out. It's cool to do these lists. I think 20 feels like long, but at the same time, that's kind of the fun is these these polls that you can come up with that other people haven't seen, and it's your chance to sort of pitch that to someone. And also, there's where you get the disagreements. I think when we get to our top few, there's going to be a lot where we can't even argue against it being on the list, you know? It's just going to be, well, yeah, you liked that more than I liked it. And I think when you get to these lower ones, it was fun to fight about Last Jedi. It was fun to fight about Inception and the stuff Mm -hmm. that we don't all see eye to eye on. Next week will be very interesting. I'm going to spend the next week second-guessing my ranking a little bit. (laughs) But it'll be fun. I can't wait to hear what you guys have up there. Yeah, now you're stuck with your your top ten. got to decide the order or cut one out completely. (laughs) I actually have a top seven now. No. (laughs) Yeah, I'll come back and be like, guys, actually, Annihilation is 10. Yeah. Bobby, any final things. thoughts? No, just, I mean, there's definitely some movies on here that I have been meaning to watch um, that I haven't yet. So I'm going to get to that and see if maybe that makes my top 20 now. Um, and some that I've never heard of, especially a couple from Tristan's list that I am going to put on my list to watch soon. So uh, I'm looking forward to the top 10 um, and how many we actually have in common. Um, Joe and I seem to match, but on the opposite order. So I feel like our top 10 actually isn't going to have as many now. So, um, well, I hope your guys top 10 has as many, um, foreign films as mine, because <laughs> that's when it really starts hitting. I've only had, I think one so far and, uh, I, I have the majority a, of my, the majority of my top 10 are foreign films. So. I have a foreign film. <laughs> I have one foreign film, probably the same one. <laughs> We all better have the same, like, yeah. at least one. I have I would a be shocked if we didn't. Okay. All right. I have six. So a we'll lot see. Of mystery. We'll see. Yeah. All right, all right team. All right. Good work today. Thank you all. all right.